did that on purpose. I don't have to miss. I believe you. So what happens now? We face each other as God intended. Sportsmanlike. No tricks, no weapons. Skill again, skill wrong. You mean you'll put down your rock and I'll put down my sword and we'll try and kill each other like civilized people? I can kill you now. Welcome to Cinemigos, a podcast all about expanding the cinematic horizons of its hosts, John. Okay, sir, you're a Lebowski, I'm a Lebowski, that's terrific. Rob. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And Hydroberg. What country are you from? What? what? ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? Good evening and welcome to Cinemigos, a podcast all about expanding cinematic horizons. I'm your host tonight, Hydroberg, and tonight we're covering The Princess Bride from 1987. But first, let me introduce my co-hosts, Rob, our cinematic archaeologist, resident. What's going on, everybody? Good to see you, boys. What's going on? And John, aka Kinetic Onslaught. You here? Hey, what up, what up, what up? How we doing? Good, good. You guys ready to tackle The Princess Bride? Fucking A right, dog. By Rob Reiner? Yeah, dude, this film is fucking great. Spoilers? Yeah. <laughs> That's your review? It's great. Fucking it fucking great. sucks! It on, it's on the back of the box. Yeah. <laughs> fucking great. From Rob. Uh, yeah, I ended up watching this many times over the past week. Um, and yeah, I, I'm I'm ready to talk about it. Nice. Um, so this is my pick. Um, which of you guys have seen it or haven't seen it? I have not seen it before. Say, Rob, you have not seen it. And John? Yeah, I'd seen it. This is, a, this is a, yeah, I've seen it. Did you see I, it a lot? Have you seen it a lot? As a kid, uh, I watched it. Whenever I was sick, my mom always made me watch nice. it. Well, oh, that was just my like next Fred question, Savage. too. So that's cool. Because yeah. I was going to ask if you saw it as a kid. Yeah. yeah. So you were just like Fred Savage in the bed watching the exactly. princess. Exactly. Yeah. That was playing the NES, not Atari. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The uh it's funny. I um I ended up watching this for the first time this past week several times. I loved it. I was like, oh, I, I had to show it to my wife. And I was like, you're gonna like this. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's like a really cute film. And she was like, eh. So I signed divorce papers this week and you know it's it's over. Oh <laughs> man. <laughs> I mean, I hate to see it, but you know, I don't blame <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But I was like, I was I really thought she was gonna like the film. She ended up not liking it, but that's okay. It's I'm I'll be honest, I've never really met anybody that disliked this film. So Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm interested. I've and then technically I've still never met your wife. So I'm still gonna say that I've never met anybody who's disliked this film. That is true. You have not actually met her. No. She has a very uh, weird taste in film sometimes. That's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's fine. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. She's, she's wrong often, so it's okay. <laughs> this film could grow on her, too. You never know. If she sees it again in, like, two years, you never know. She might like That's it. True. That's true. That's true. It kind of has that, that quality to it. Um, so, yeah, I picked this movie. Uh, it, means, it means a lot to me, honestly. This film, I don't know. My father took me to see this with my brother um, when we were young. That's dope. And we used to go to the movies with my dad like a lot. So um, you saw this in theaters? Yeah. Oh wow, awesome. 
Yeah, my parents were divorced, so like we would visit my dad and we would go out a lot and go to do things like miniature golf and shit. But we always did like the movies on like a Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty frequent. And uh, I don't know, it was just like a magical time as a kid, like you said, like seeing this on the big screen. It was like this is a magical film, in my opinion. And it was as a kid and it still rings true, I feel like now over time. So, um, yeah, you want to get into it? I can do the synopsis and then you maybe drop a little pre-production trivia or something yeah. and we'll get into a review. Sounds like a plan to me. All right. So synopsis for The Princess Bride. A bedridden boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love. His true love. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of pre-production. So the writer, uh, we have to go, I would say, go with the writer before the director in in the case of this This is based on a book, yes? Yeah, so so similar to like uh, Murder by Death, you know, like the the writer is a little bit, almost a little bit more famous than the director, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and the writer is William Goldman, and he's a very famous author. Uh, he wrote uh, st- the books for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Banger. He did uh, The Princess Bride, All the President's Men. He was really bit. He did a lot of books. He wrote a lot of screenplays for Hollywood, and uh, he so he wrote this book and he wrote the screenplay for the for this movie. So he's he's very involved Damn, yeah. in his works. Um, double tap. Yeah. Uh, what else did he? Uh, oh, so the actual full title of this book. This is pretty crazy, right? It's the Princess Bride, S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure. The good parts version. That's the title of the book. Oh my god! <laughs> I wonder. Does it say that in the movie? I wonder if the prop. No, yeah. it, no, it doesn't. And so that's actually. I now I have not read the book yet. I I plan on getting it because I'm kind of curious because I've heard the book is equally as awesome as the movie is, mm. and oh, there's right. a lot of things that we don't see in the movie that we do get in the book that are which is which is a good decision you know you have the same guy doing the screenplay and the book and so he went into detail in the book but it's like we don't need that for the movie we'll just edit that, that explains movie. the quality of like storytelling in this stuff yeah it's like well it's so essentially the the film is the good quote-unquote good parts version like we're, we're book, putting out yeah. a lot of the exposition mm-hmm. but we're just kind of like going cool. through the important parts of the story um so yeah, this film, uh, was, the book was written in 1973. It, uh, like I said, he's a very famous author. And he right away, William Goldman wanted to make this into a film. And he handed the book to Carl Reiner, the father of our director, Rob Reiner. Carl Reiner had no idea what he was going to do with it. Handed huh. it to his son back in the 70s, who was a huge William Goldman fan. And he's like, oh, this book's great. Yeah. But he he hadn't even starred in uh, All in the Family yet, which was the show that made Rob Reiner famous. Yeah. So here Great here's head. some of the uh, uh, William Goldman ended up selling the book over to Fox for like five hundred grand, and they were like the initially I think the initial director um, was it da, 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 da. oh so the initial director was Richard Lester, and you'll you might recognize Richard Lester from a few from a few movies. Uh, he did a Hard Day's Night, the the Beatles uh, kind of docu film uh, back in I think the sixties or sixties I believe is when that was done. He also did Superman two and three. Nice. Uh, however, the Fox producer who um, who had 
bought the film or who bought the rights to the movie was fired and project went on hiatus. Goldman ended up buying back the rights to the film. And he says, uh, quote unquote, from Bill, William Goldman himself, after a good bit of negotiating, it was again mine. I was the only fuckhead who could destroy it now. Because <laughs> he, really, he really cared about this project. I don't blame him. Yeah. yeah. It, sound, it, like, it sounded to me, I watched that one of those videos he posted too in the Discord. And it was like, this was basically like a, a script that was like shopped around or not a script necessarily, went, but an idea of a movie to make a movie about it. And then nobody really would go through with it. Yeah, this this went through developmental hell, essentially, yeah. is what, what they call it. So here's Even some other director. When he was becoming successful, like, they were like, you can do anything. And then he mentioned this, and they were like, like oh, well, not, not that. that. Anything but that. <laughs> anything but that. Uh, so here's here's some other directors that were considered for the for this project after uh, William Goldman bought the uh, bought the book back. Um, it was, was it Francois Truffaut, a famous French director, uh, probably most famously known for 400 Blows. He was also in. He was also made a guest appearance in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. If you've ever seen that film, uh, Robert Redford was considered to direct this film. Oh, Robbie Red, huh? Yeah, yeah. Norman Jewison. Norman Jewison, who did In the Heat of That's the Night. That's racist, Rob. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he did In the Heat of the Night, Rollerball, and Justice for All. Wow. And uh, John Borman, uh, who did Zardoz. Exorcist 2 and Excalibur. These were all directors. Those are not really good movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're they're the Exorcist 2 is awful, but oh, uh, he also did Deliverance. So yeah, I mean uh, that's well, awful. there you go. That's that makes up for all of this. Zardoz is a square, yeah. You know, uh sorry, side note, Zardoz is a weird fucking movie. It's got it's got it's known in pop culture, but it's more about the imagery of uh Sean Connery in that weird G-string yeah, thing. Oh my god, it's so fucking oh, weird. Oh shit, that sounds lit. What's it called? <laughs> Zardoz. Oh, Not dude, I gotta uh, later. I'll tell yeah. you the uh, the the. You look uh, it up now. It's a fucking weird movie. Um. So now it comes back to Rob Reiner, who has now he now by the time this movie is kind of being considered, he's uh he's had his directorial debut. He did you know this is Spinal Tap. And this is oh, was it, that was his first film. He did. Um, there was another film that he did after that, and both films were very successful. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, "Hey, what do you, what do you want to do as a movie?" Well, he remembered The Princess Bride, and he's been wanting to do a, a movie on this book. Well, anything but that. No, no, no. But he ended up ended up finding funding where Norman Lear, the guy who created All in the Family, who also helped fund This Is Spinal Tap. Is like yeah, I'll put he put all of his own money to do this film, and that's kind of how the film got started. Yeah, damn, that's a crazy start. Yeah, this is like it's one of those films that should never have happened, but it just kind of we stumbled into something. God, those are always good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think also they just like nailed it with casting. I think the the cast just fell into place. Oh, yeah. dude, Reiner really even said that like when he met. Like he didn't know who to cast in those roles for Wesley, and then like when he met um, what's his Terry name, Elvis. Terry, yeah, and Robin Wright. Like he just knew that like I can't do it without. The- it has to be these two people. Like it's like it was a list of one for him. Yeah, you want to know who? Like so in this uh, since we're talking about him a little bit, and and I'll, I'll delve more into this as we talk about the characters and go into certain scenes, but. The during this kind of developmental hell, uh, when they were considering roles for Wesley, 
You want to know who they first considered? Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. (laughs) Superman. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like we'll we'll talk about these characters as we go along. But why don't we uh, dive into the film? All right. So just from the onset, like I love just the beginning, like setup of uh, the grandson's room. You know what I mean? He's playing that arcade baseball. Oh, yeah. Uh, You said that was an Atari game. Yeah. Okay. Like I thought it was NES for a minute, but yeah, it was like but the controller looked, was the controller was certainly Atari. Man, I that yeah, looked, okay. re, those looked like NES graphics with like an Atari controller. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know. I just I went off that strictly off of the controller because it was for sure an Atari twenty six hundred controller, and so that's why I was like, oh, all right, we're gonna bring it up on the monitor. We're gonna we're gonna zoom let's in see, now. Let's dive. Let's do no, the deep kidding. dive here. <laughs> here it is. Um, so I just, I really love the overlay of like the grandfather and the grandson. Um, I think it's just like, you know, the grandson thinks he's too cool for grandpa, you know, grandpa pinches my cheek. I hate it. And mom's like, well, maybe, maybe he won't this time. And sure enough, grandpa gets in and pinches his grandson's cheek right (laughs) off the bat. And it annoys his grandson. But Peter Falk is amazing in this, as this, this role as grandpa, like it's just a small part, but it's so memorable. Yeah. Back in my day television was called book yeah books <laughs> yeah uh, love it one thing about peter falk that was because uh you know although he uh rob reiner didn't want to say this and it's like it's like wow you know i maybe i should wear some makeup because i you know i i it's like i i need to look like a grandfather's like and rob uh, rob reiner was like you're old enough to be a grandfather yeah because <laughs> he was like 60 and so they put all these like prosthetics on him initially before like they started uh actually filming he's like Rob, I look like a burn victim. Like so, they ended up just kind of like letting him look how he did. I think they grayed up his hair a little bit because he did have pretty, you know, naturally dark hair. Um, so you know, he but he did look kind of grandfatherly. He looked great. Yeah, I, I think I, he looked perfectly of age to be the grandfather this, to this. This is our second okay. Peter Falk film, <laughs> dude. It's weird because I all. It's funny you mention that because I I always forget who the fuck the grandfather is, and every time I watch the movie, I'm always like, oh. Yeah, that's right. Not not very long after our previous film, Murder by Death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I just love the I love the contrast of these moments with Grandpa, and mm-hmm. contrast to the story, the the you know the embellished um, fantasy story that we're watching. Um, I just think that's really cool the way it breaks off every once in a while, and you get to go back to grandson and, and Grandpa, and I just love the chemistry between young Fred Savage and. Peter Falk, like I think they uh, they work pretty well. They're smaller scenes, but they they create a nice like family um, aspect to the movie. Uh, it, yeah, it's like one of the coolest ways to do narration, I think. Right. Because I know yeah. there's a lot of people who like they don't like the narrating, you know, whoopty whoop. But with this, it's just like it feels like such a, a groundbreaking difference of narration where you're literally like it's like a story within a story and you're you're hearing that through a a completely different universe and like that's to me that's that's what's that's what's super cool about it yeah peter falk can narrate my life any day yeah it is it is pretty great it's i really do love it and when he when we get into the story um even that like as soon as you get into that you're like oh man the music's hitting like the theme the love theme Mm -hmm. music is just like so iconic i feel like and then we get like the hold it hold it there's kissing in this book. Is this yeah. a kissing book? Like the little kids. Like, I don't want to hear about kissing. Like, that's, don't nobody want to hear, hear that shit. Because he even asked, he's like, is there sports in this or anything? And he's like, oh, there's 
Grandpa's like, yeah, there's like uh, fencing and uh, acrobatics and uh, sailing and come on, there's every there's Revenge. Even, like, yeah, <laughs> it's all there. But yeah, I just love that. Um, and we get introduced to Wesley and, and Princess Buttercup. We're just Buttercup, and I I just love their relationship. Like it's it's sappy, but it's the perfect type of sappy like love fantasy like trope, you know, of the. Yeah. But they do it a little different, right? With him being the farm boy and her like finding out through his language of as you wish what he was really meaning the whole time. Because he does whatever he says. And he always says this after he does it. And he's yeah. very the, um So one thing about like Carrie Ellis, the, the, for the main actor, they were uh, Rob Reiner and William Goldman. Kind of, um, I don't know if you, you guys will recognize these names. I, I do because I'm an old man. All but right. uh they wanted to look like uh, they wanted to have a guy that looked like a Douglas Fairbanks or Errol Flynn or Tyrone power type. And those are all guys that were in these kind of like, you know, uh, swashbuckling sword fighting films. Okay. Uh, like Zorro and like, yeah. Cause all, he has a Zorro look. Yeah. So, I mean, and th- that's what these characters portrayed mm-hmm. were these like kind of like Zorro sword fighting guys. Yeah. They're all great films. Like, you know, but that's, that's the type of guy that they were looking for. And when they did meet Carrie Elwes, it's like, this is the guy. He uh, he had done a movie called Lady Jane not not too long before this. And it's like, it's this is the guy. It's, it, there's no one else you could cast for this role. Yeah. Uh, with Robin Wright, she actually came into this movie very late because they couldn't quite find the right person. Let me tell you who they auditioned. They, they weren't considered, but they auditioned for the role. Take a look at this casting list. You have Uma Thurman. Okay. Meg Ryan, mm-hmm. Sean Young, wow. uh, Susie Amos, who I don't know who that is, Courtney Cox, Alexander Cox. Paul, I don't know who this is, and here's the crazy one, Whoopi Goldberg. What? <laughs> she auditioned for the role of, of Buttercup. Well, actually, no, wait, I say what, but I mean, in 87, yeah. Yeah, I, what, that's pre-sister. Young right? enough, yeah. Right? But still, it's just like, young man. Enough. When did she um, do The Color Purple? This is probably around there. that time. I it's think pretty it, young there. Color Purple was, I think, 86, I believe. Yeah. And this is what, 87? Yeah. Have you guys but, ever seen Jumpin' Jack Flash? I have not seen Jumpin' Jack. Gotta Flash. cover that. I'm putting it up. <laughs> right uh, but like when, uh, and so Robin Wright's, uh, her her agent is like, you gotta, you gotta audition for this role. You're, you're the right, you're the right person for the role. And when she auditioned, William Goldman's like, it was almost like like lights from heaven. It's like this is our this is our buttercup. There's no one else that can do this role. It's got to be her. And she was an unknown person at the time. She was in some soap opera called Santa Barbara. And yeah, now yeah, I've her. heard of it. Yeah. So that was kind of I. I was just like, man, what the hell? Whoopi Goldberg auditioned for this role. I cannot imagine. It's like, ooh, child. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like I can't. I just can't imagine it. Like she's like. um, her character from Ghost. I forgot her. Yeah, name. yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot her name. <laughs> Damn it! What's her name? When was Ghost? Oh. Ghost is not that much longer after this. That's Ghost is right around the same time. I feel like yeah, late eighties. Um, no, but yeah, that's interesting. And it's it's always interesting to just think of like the alternate reality of what if so and so was cast. Like you said, a young Uma Thurman in nineteen eighty seven. She's cast in this. Boom. We don't get Pulp Fiction. Like yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably not. You know so. It's interesting though, like what, what where would other paths diverge, and what other roles would get filled with different actresses or actors? That would be just cool to yeah. 
The only one I could maybe like see potentially being in this role is maybe Meg Ryan. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Sure. It's young Meg Ryan. I could see it. I'm glad maybe. that Robin Wright was in it though. Yeah. She's, she's perfect. And well, and the other thing too, what was, what was uh, really interesting about her life is that her stepfather was English. And yeah. so she, her, she could mimic an English accent. So that's yep. why she's perfect for the role. Oh shit! Um, because even Carrie Elwes is like it, it's flawless. Like it, it, her her accent is flawless. It, it's not it's not a put on. She's doing it for real. Yeah, she is. So it's it's pretty interesting that she could do that. Just like I don't even remember her having an accent. Yeah, it's not thick. There's not a, like there's accents, but I think they're not accentuated like really. So you don't. I don't feel like we're hearing them a ton, uh, and they're not overly embellished. I don't think so. I mean, uh, with uh, I thought the same thing after hearing that she was had the English accent. I'm like, when I'm listening to, it, I'm like, well, it's not very strong, though. At least, yes. no, no, it's not strong, but it's like, like it's Wesley strong. sounds a little bit more English than she does. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, and then uh, obviously we have Mandy Patinkin doing his Spanish accent, which is pretty good too. He's amazing. Uh, so just like, I think this film handles several themes like so well, like comedy, drama, action, romance, the importance of like family and good friendship is one of the through lines and like in a fantasy setting it I just like, I don't know, it tackles so much. And I think the fact that it achieves them all is like kind of a small miracle in filmmaking. For sure. You're lucky to normally hit fucking one of those themes on a, on a good note. You I'm know saying, I mean? man, it's just such a fun film and it's like, it's a family film. Like you could just introduce this to your kids yep. and it's generally any junction of their life. Yeah. It's one of those films that, like, I I always get happy to hear that younger generations still like when it's like, oh, I showed my kid Princess Bride. They loved it. I'm like, yes, we're keeping that one around. Like, they're going to keep it around. They're going to keep it going. Same thing with, like, Goonies and some of the, you know, I'm glad to hear these films still resonate with the younger crowd now. You know, we talked about this with, um, like, Ujimbo, like, where we're talking, you know, that's a 60-year-old film that we're still enjoying today. And I think people are going to enjoy that 60 years from, from today. I think the same thing with The Princess Bride. You know, it's yeah. been enjoyed by, you know, now it's a 30 plus year old film and new people are still coming to us and enjoying it. I mean, it's it just up, holds on, up. It's up yeah. on Disney Plus right now. New kids it looks are gorgeous, by the way. Uh, it looks fucking fantastic. The landscapes and stuff and even the fake settings like just look crisp. Oh, uh, well, let's uh, the other thing, too, like this whole film was filmed on location. For the most part, like and ninety nine point nine percent of the, the film was done in England, yeah. the uh, except for one scene that we'll come to at the end. And yeah, it, it was filmed that there was like a castle that they were in. There was, you know, they were in like, you know, the hills. They filmed certain parts at uh, Shepherdin Studios. So yeah, you, you can um, tell that like the fight scene between Anigo and the men in black. But, but we don't care because it, it is supposed to be pretend. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a storybook. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like the movie's still gorgeous. Um, and then so we get introduced to Fezzik and and Inigo and um, what's his name? Uh, Fazzini. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so like I just love Fezzik and Inigo's friendship. Like it just always brought me joy anytime I would do watch this film just to see them on screen together. For sure. Their little rhyming game and like yeah, the thing. Yeah. They just like working together. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those characters because uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, so we'll start with Mandy Patinkin uh, as Inigo Montoya, who was really in casting. He was cast very early on. Uh, and actually, because uh, Rob Reiner was, uh, he's a big fan of Broadway. That's where Mandy Patinkin had become very famous in. 
And mm-hmm. when he showed him like the the script, is like, hey, which part would you like to play? And he was uh, reading through. It's like, well, I want to I want to be this guy. I want to be Inigo Montoya. Okay, well, let's uh, hold on a second. Let me let me cast some other people first. See if you match up. And once they hired Carrie Elwes, it's like you're Inigo. You know that you're you're the guy. And it's the, the great why, character. Yeah, and the reason why he wanted to be Inigo Montoya was that um and he talks about this in several interviews i mean he talks about this part all the time because people ask him about it all the time and he wanted to play it because anigo montoya's story is that he is trying to get revenge for his father's death and for mandy patinkin his father had died you know back in the 70s of cancer and so killing the six-fingered man is him like you know killing the cancer that his father had and like he actually went like when they were filming in the castle he would go is like hey just give me a second and he would walk around the castle it's like kind of almost like in that inigo montoya is like talk to his dad inigo montoya you know you killed my father prepare to die that's what he was doing about like he was saying that about like his own self yeah getting his mind right he killed his dad and that's that's crazy like he was doing um the other thing too when it came to Bassini was great so played by Wallace Shawn. Dude, hilarious. He's great. So I love that was, guy. He was not the first person considered for that role. The person that they initially wanted was Danny DeVito. Yeah. I'm glad that wasn't <laughs> Danny DeVito, to be honest. I, mean, I still see him carrying similar energy. Yeah. But I don't know. No, I I, I don't it just doesn't to me because Danny DeVito has a much more darker side to him. I don't yeah. see it working in this yeah. film. So they call me the trash man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I was, uh, Wallace Shawn, he's famous for My Dinner with Andre. He was one of the teachers in Clueless. Uh, and for you Pixar fans, he's Rex from Toy Story. Awesome. Um, and uh, uh, there's a couple stories. Well, one thing that he was actually very afraid that he was going to get fired because he was not the first choice so he was very like oh man i'm not doing a good job and he was super scared about that and then there's another story i'm going to share about him later on as we get to the scene there's a particular scene i'll, I'll talk about what happened here all right um then we get to andre the andre the giant rusimov hey, uh, talk plays, about it who plays fesic now He's amazing who yeah. is brilliant casting and this is this is the guy that william goldman had in mind when he was writing uh, Fessick. He wanted Andre the Giant. He was a huge fan of his. Makes sense. But he, the problem with that is that he was always busy with wrestling. Couldn't couldn't ever really find the time. And obviously, like when they went through de- developmental hell, just couldn't. Also make it. dealing with a ton of fucking like problems with like health wise. Well, that that that'll um, come later. We'll we'll yeah. talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but so here are some of the other people who were considered for the role. Uh. Of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou oh. Ferrigno. Okay. And um, yo, uh, Lou, I could see Lou Ferrigno bringing that same. Energy. I totally could. I yeah, I, that one. I'm like, okay, I could see that. He and could be uh, like a deaf giant, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't even. I'm not meaning it as a joke. I'm just saying. No, but it, it would have yeah. kind of played into that similar thing. Yeah. Here's a name you'll probably recognize. Uh, Heiderberg is Carol Stroykin, who is in Twin Peaks. He played um, Lurch in the Addams Family movies. Uh, he was also in Doctor Sleep. Mm. 
And uh, another person who auditioned but was turned down because he wasn't the right height was Liam Neeson. The wow. uh, and when uh, Liam Neeson movie, yeah, the, Dude, geez. I have a specific <laughs> skill set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Coming for you. But it was uh, now the reason why Andre the Giant couldn't initially do it. He had a fight in Tokyo that was going to pay him five million dollars. That ended okay. up that ended up getting canceled. Oh man! And uh, you hate to so, hear it. So when uh, he auditioned, or when uh, he kind of read some lines for Rob Reiner, it's like he's like, "You, you want to do it? I'll do it, boss." And so Rob Reiner. It essentially created him a cassette tape of like how his lines should be spoken and like with the certain inflections or whatever. Hey, because yeah. you know he's a French guy, his English is not great. Yeah, and so he was kind of concerned about how he would come off. So Rob Reiner helped him, and it also caused him to be a little too wooden. So Mandy Patinkin helped loosen him up and kind of like slapped him around a little bit. It's like, come on, you know, it's it's okay. Like you know, just you know, play around. He's like. Oh, this is not just like wrestling. I have to kind of like I can play with it. Oh, okay, okay, boss. Yeah. That that probably adds to their uh, chemistry as actors sure. doing it. Yeah, translated in the movie for sure. Let's get into a little bit more of like the beginning though, like of when they meet the man in black and they're like his pursuit of them. Yeah, inconceivable. Like, yeah, like they <laughs> just the we get all these. There's so many characters in this movie, so I feel like we need to kind of like get into some of them. Um, just the group of the like kind of mercenaries of Inigo Montoya and Fezzik and Fizzini. Uh, Fizzini's a dick, but just like I think that's a cool dynamic and their their plan um, of what to do. Well, his plan um, yeah. is cool. It's like this uh, sabotage. You're going to create, um, you know, a fake murder or a murder and blame it on like another uh location somewhere on the map i don't know where yeah uh, the, it, it was uh so it was gilder was the one that was gonna gilder, be yeah for, uh and what they're, they're gonna be blamed for part it, of um what's the town that they're they're part of this i forget the, where uh humper jinx from yeah that's what i'm trying to uh shit. i don't know they sell they say gilder more than where they're from they do yeah but um yeah so humper jinx basically we find out later that like he's he's kind of perpetrated all of this himself mastermind yeah to create like this uh this warring divide and so he can rise to power basically uh but yeah no it's like and then we get the man in black and he's so mysterious and he's just like traveling we get the moment on the boat where like anigo montoya thinks someone's following he keeps looking and asking questions and uh Vizzini's just like why would you keep asking that like what yeah, the fuck? who's gonna be following us and he's like well then who is that you know yeah because someone's following us and <laughs> He's like it's a foreign. fisherman, huh? Florin, Florin is the the the. Oh, the, Florin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like they're on the boat, and we get that moment where um, Buttercup gets loose and she jumps off the boat. And dude, that screaming eel like scene when I was young, that shit was tense. Yeah. It's scary. That shit because it was dark in the theater and those fucking things were like going around. And it was like Jim Henson scary. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was just yeah. sort of like <laughs> I don't know. I was a kid, so it was like, oh, what the fuck. That thing's about to get her, and it was like coming at her, and then Fezzik just like grabs her right or bops it on the head. Yeah, I, and plus, I, I, what's also really kind of uh, a good thing that they do too is that now we cut back to our 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 grandfather and the grandson. Yeah, and it's I like love that. yeah, and so it's it's almost like you kind of get taken out of that scary moment for a second. It's like, hey, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a little tense there. And I uh, like it because we're as an audience at this moment in the film, we've watched enough where I feel like we're 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 invested. 
And so we're like, we're in Fred Savage's uh, seat now. We're just sort of like, wait, wait, why'd you stop? Why'd you stop? We're yeah, like, what yeah, happened? Yeah. What happened? You know? And it's like, oh, it looks like you were a little, like you were getting a little, you know, anxious. So I, I didn't want to scare you. And he's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. Yeah. I, I do love that, that little breakup. I love these little breakups. They never like feel abrupt or out of place. They always come at a great at the right moment. Later on, they change a the scene and you see that like they're eating lunch now. So like hours have passed, you know what I mean? Since he started the book. And and the grandson's just into it now more and more. So like Peter Falk's like, fuck it, I'll, we'll read the whole thing if we can. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that they spend this afternoon together and we get to see yeah. glimpses of it. I think it's just oh. like, it's such a small little thing, but I think it just adds like a warmth to the film. Yeah. Plus the other thing too, what, what's kind of nice about it is that you have, because you start off with that, you know, that's kind of the opening scene. And, you know, sometimes if you're going to introduce it like that, you also need to kind of check in with those characters as well. Like, we can't just mm-hmm. go through the entire story. It's like, uh, and then like, uh, we get to the end. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. There's that that grandfather and the grandson. Oh yeah, that's right. They're part. We of We gotta this tie story. up that. We gotta tie that oh. up. But but no, we, we consistently check in with those characters to see what's going on, which is I think is a brilliant way to do it. I really do like it. Um, so we get the the man in blacks going after them, and Fezic. We see Fezic. They come to the. The Cliffs of Insanity, I think they're called, or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, so, like, they're going to climb that. And and Fazzini's basically thinking, like, well, nobody else can climb that. Like, there's no man alive who can climb that. But I have a giant. Right. So, like, Andre the Giant carries them all up, well, his character does, up this rope. And he's carrying carrying Buttercup, Fazzini, and um, Inigo at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> right and the black the man in black's giving chase and somehow he's like bicycle kicking up that motherfucker like he's doing some navy yeah. seal shit up that fucking rope and i was like damn bro he's moving fast so fezzik's trying to haul ass but he's carrying all this weight and then in real life andre's back was so hurt like bad at the time he couldn't carry andre's, anything anything on his back so they had to create this rig and it had like these bicycle seats on it that the actors sat on and it basically distributed the weight. So like never. Yeah, and it was, and it was a forklift that was lifting them up. Yeah. So here, here's the thing about this. So I wanted to get back to Vicini. It's uh, played by Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Yeah, I know about him. He's yeah. He was fucking terrified of like heights. He said and, he got scared looking down at his own feet. Yeah. So he, uh, and he, but he was scared that he was going to get fired. So he didn't want to show that. And so. He didn't want to ruin the movie. He said. Yeah, and Andre the Giant, like j- between takes, while they're up going up the you know quote unquote cliffs of insanity, he's petting him like a child. It's like it's okay, I'll protect you. You're gonna be. Yeah, okay. he says, "I got you. Don't worry I about you. it. I got you. Don't worry." And, and it's like he when that happened, it's like, oh man, that was so helpful. Like I, he was able to get through his fear because Andre the Giant was with him. And it's like yeah. it's <laughs> which you would think like normally would be this like horribly like. How? What the fuck are you doing to me? <laughs> Don't touch me like that. I uh, know yeah, Mandy. Mandy Patinkin said that like there were no like issues after that on any scenes dealing with that. Yeah, like, and that's just like everyone loved Andre the Giant. He was so he was such a spectacular human that everyone yeah, loved. Said he was him. great. Yeah, dude. Said, if you get a chance to watch that fucking doc on H on HBO, it's I think it's just called Andre. It's, oh man! I oh yeah, I remember. That. I remember hearing about it not too long ago. Bro, it is so fucking good. There's right, like a 20, there's like 15, 15 to 20 minutes where they touch on the Princess Bride and, and him talking about it because oh, it's a decent amount of time that they spend on it. That sounds yeah, it's pretty. It's a few minutes. They, 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 uh, they interview Billy Crystal and uh, and Wesley 
Uh, I know that he had a ton of fun with this film and he must have been very proud of it. Oh, for sure. That, you know, it was a, yeah, he, he, uh, it's just wild. They talk about her like having to, you know, when she seen where she has to jump into his arms. Yeah. And he, like he was just so fucked off that they, like they had some, a, another kind of, uh, rig. Yeah. Where it, it yeah, it, he was like leaning back on something and they had her and Riggs dropping down. And it looks great. Like they did a great job of like, you know, because you don't even notice. I like it. that floaty scene where she's like floating down. It looks yeah. princessly, you know, like storybook. I think that's really cool. But, um, and yeah, so like we get the, uh, and Nego stays behind, right? And he's gonna, he's gonna, challenge the um well he's gonna just kill the fucking man in black when he gets up the mountain yeah they cut the rope but the man in black's able to grab onto the the cliffside and he now he's traversing up it but very slowly and then him and Amigo have this like back and forth for a moment about you know like i don't like waiting but i'm waiting for you and do you need help and he's like no i got this the man in black's like i got it but then eventually Anigo lowers the rope and i just kind of love that they they have this like respect for each other even though they're adversaries yeah. You know what I mean? There's that moment where Man- Montego, uh, Montego, I mean, uh, Anigo, um, just like kind of lets him catch his breath. Yeah. Like, oh, thanks again. Thanks again. Yeah. Well, he even tells him, he's like, uh, well, are you ready? He's like, well, even if I'm not, you've been plenty sporting enough. So exactly. I kind of just love that about the writing. Um, and I like the, the way the, the man in black goes through them all, you know, like as this like kind of trial to yeah. get to. So here's, here's the thing about this. And this and this is a this is a great scene too. Is um, the script says you know now now starts the most epic sword fight. That's kind of like you know what the screenplay says. And outside of like some of the acrobatics, like the flips and like the the trapeze stuff, that's all Carrie Elwes. And yeah, it's all no. I mean, outside of like the flips, like which are done by uh, stunt guys. Oh, stunt, yeah. But all the sword fighting, that's an ego. Uh, or that's uh, Manny Patinkin and Carrie Elwes fighting. So they had both trained for, I think, like six to eight months. And here's who they trained with. Uh, a yeah. guy named... Keanu Reeves. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, uh, so Robert Anderson and uh, Peter Diamond, mm. who uh, both of them worked on Star Wars. And actually, Robert Anderson was the stunt double for Darth Vader. He helped with Lord of the Rings with uh, Viggo Mortensen, helped him with like the sword fighting for uh, Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings. Uh, He did Highlander. Oh, shit. Yeah. And they also had, like, they had not had any fencing done, uh, fencing training before. And they also learned how to fight left handed and right handed. Yeah, because that's that is a moment in their dialogue uh, in the sword fight itself. And I don't know if it was the ep- most epic sword fight, but it's a pretty cool sword fight. Well, pretty so good. so they had so their their goal is they wanted to have like the longest epic sword fight, you know, from like these kind of like fencing sword swashbuckling type of films. Movies, yeah. And I think Scaramouche was like the longest like, oh, we're going to beat that. We're going to ha- we're going to have the longest one. Okay. And, but they got so fat, they got so fat, you know, because they trained for months and they worked together and they got so fast with it that it's like it ended up shortening it from four minutes to like a minute and a half. I can and mean, I can see that because there's a lot of footwork as well as the sword play, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And they're doing dialogue on this. Vertical- the di- that's what I love about this scene, though. I love the way the dialogue runs throughout as they it escalates as they escalate up the stairs. And then yep. the, the music's ramping up and like, oh, you didn't know I had 
I didn't tell you, but I'm, you know, I'm not left-handed. I'm right-handed, actually. And then yeah. he's like, well, so am I. And there's like this back and forth between them. <laughs> it's great. And he's obviously, you are better than me. But yeah. And then he's like, and then, but then they sent, they're like sending like, not jabs at each other. Instead, they're like boosts of confidence. They're like, oh, you're really exactly. good. You know? Yeah, like exactly. exactly like compliments back and forth. It's weird, but it's really cool the way it plays out. And then I just love the mutual respect of each other. Even once um, Anigo has been bested, He's ready to take it, you know, like a man. Like he's like, just make it quick, you know. And Carrie Ellis says something along the lines of like, I would sooner break a stained glass window than destroy an art, you know, an artist like as yourself. And then, but I can't let you live. I mean, I can't let you follow me. So he like knocks him out. And yeah. I love that. I also love the exchange of their sword because we get that's where we get the myth of or the lore of like what like what Anigo's drive is about his dad. Oh yes. The whole, yeah. By the six fingered man and his act of getting revenge. Cause he tried when he was a kid and he was scarred and beaten, but left alive. And then since then he's made it his mission in life to exact revenge on his foot for his father. And we see like, he even asked the man in black, like, do you mind? I know like, it's kind of like, Oh, I know that's a weird question, but do you mind if I ask, do you have uh, you know, a six finger on your right hand? But he doesn't, but uh, yeah, he shows him the sword, which it's a, beautiful prop then like that sword is pretty it's only in this one movie but it's kind of iconic looking like i remember as soon as you see it i'm like damn that's gorgeous yeah yeah it's it is a work of art oh wait, it really wait. is give me two seconds i have a window opened up on my oh we're good it was like one of those news bumps that comes up sometimes nice. um <laughs> but yeah i just i do love like spending some time with them and that banter that they have and their duels like fucking awesome and i just love there's a moment of dialogue where the the Inigo Montoya character says uh, to the man in black, who are you? The man in black says, uh, no one of consequence. Inigo Montoya says, I must know. And the man in black says, get used to disappointment. I just kind of love that little moment yeah. of like, you're so good. I've never fought anybody as good as you. Like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And there's this like intrigue of like who the man in black is. We as an audience, we know who it is. It's Wesley. Oh, yeah. You can obviously tell. But. Yeah. I think the point of that too is like when when you think about it, it, anytime you're really good at something that you do, you know who the fucking best people are. You know what I mean? It's like, it's pretty, so it's just like in the moment, he's just kind of dumbfounded. Like, yo, I've been trained by the best guy. I fucking practice. You know, that's all, that's all I've lived to do. And you just beat me. What the fuck? And it's like, he's just dumbfounded, but he, you know, he's, he's able to keep his life. And then we get, his um encounter with the giant, which is cool. Well, yeah, giants like slinging these boulders basically, and he can yeah. crush them. But I love that little bit of dialogue with them too when they're talking about like you want to kill each other without weapons, like civilized human beings. Yeah, even though killing yeah. each other is not civilized, <laughs> it's not yeah. very sportsmanlike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like my way isn't very sportsmanlike, right? To um Fazzini, Fazzini's such a douche. Yeah, I know he's great. It really is. Yeah, he really is. Like, he's but he's a lovable him. douche. We like we like the scene. I guess. You, I mean, you love to see him be a douche, and, and you want him to die though at some moment. Like, you're just kind of like, I hope he gets his. But yeah, his his dialogue's really good, and the actor just like kind of slays it as. Oh, for sure. This little douchey dude. He's got a lot of small dick energy, but he's got swag about it too. So yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> <he's> like, <laughs> yeah, it's like impressive. But um. Because, like, when he goes up against the man in black, he boasts about his intellect the whole time and, like, how smart he is and, like, how are you going to stoop me in a... Socrates, in a, Aristotle, yeah. morons. Yes, morons. Yeah. <laughs> so morons. they have, like, they have a challenge of, of wits, right? Yeah. To the death. Of intellect, to the death. Yeah, that entices <laughs> him. 
And I love that he boasts about his intellect the whole time and like which cup is poison. Like he knows it. But then at the very end, he relies on trickery at the end. You're anyway. giving everything away. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he just switches the cups like, OK, truly you're dizzy. Your your uh, intellect is dizzying. You know, it's it's something. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, you haven't like, even nah, gotten started yet. You have to see when I get started. He's got. Yeah. It's like you haven't seen me get started yet. <laughs> And then we get Humperdinck like tracking them cut into those scenes. And I think that's really cool because we get introduced to our villain and his and we don't know who it is yet. But uh, right. Count Rugen, the the man with the six finger. But we find yeah. that out later. So what do you what do you guys think of um, uh, Prince Humperdinck and uh, Count Rugen? What do you guys think of those those two uh, two characters? They have like Mr. Burns and Smithers uh, vibes. Yeah, I get I get that. Uh, oh, yeah. that's I did not think of that. But that yes, just a little bit. But um. Yeah, I just uh, I I like their vibe and I like their characters. What were you gonna say, John? Uh, they just I don't the I think even later on I I took it as they were they were you know lovers. Oh shit! I didn't. That's interesting. You know that it, you are not the first person to say that, John. Uh, or at least that's not the first time I've heard that. It's like it, they do, like I said, they do have this very Mister Burns. Uh, and again, yeah, Smithers that's why I got that same vibe because Miss Smithers is like smitten for. Mr. Uh, even Burns. when they're like when they're doing the torture thing, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I love to watch you work," and he's like, "Oh, yes, I love when you watch me work." It's just like uh, yeah. like like. Uh, so yeah, who knows? Maybe that's why he yeah. doesn't care about his wife. Right, yeah. Right, like he's gonna kill his own wife to, to kill her, right? He's like, like yeah. a war or whatever. So, like, interesting take, actually. I, I never but thought I, about that. Yeah, no, I, think the, that I, think the, I think the casting of those two uh, actors was uh, was just brilliant because we have Chris Sarandon as Prince Humberdink, who had played. Dude, in he said some roles, bro. Dude, Jack Skellington, Child's Fright Play, Night. yeah, Fright Night he as was, as Danders, yes. I think it is. He was Jack Skellington in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. He did the vocal, not the the singing. Not the not the singing. Danny Elfman did the singing. Yeah, yeah. The uh, and then we have Christopher Guest as Count Rugen, who had been in This Is Spinal Tap. Um, he was Child's Play. Yeah, he was the cop in Child's Play. Yeah, oh, I know. When that was what before or after this? That I was before, before, I believe. Shortly before. I don't know. Really? Oh, was Child's Play eight? The first Child's Play was eighty eight. That's what it says. Yeah. Damn, I thought it was like earlier. That's funny. Yeah, 88. Damn. Look at that. Chris Sarandon putting in the work. Yeah, dude. He has a he has an interesting uh filmography. I was kind of like some good film. Yeah, that's so wild. I I just watched Child's Play, like dead ass, like less than a week ago. And then I watched Princess Bride. (laughs) I I, I damn near watched them like back to back. And I double right there. I didn't even connect that that was the same dude. Yeah, yeah, he was a detective who just yeah. doesn't believe her until like. And it, it's funny, like car. so. I, I listen. I listened to this interview with Chris Sarandon. You know, a little bit of a side note. Uh, when he was in, uh, when he was auditioning for the role of Prince Humberdink in uh, the Princess Bride, and so he's taking like the bus over to um, William Goldman's apartment where he's going to audition. And he was reading this newspaper about like because uh, him and uh, it turns out William Goldman were huge. Um, I think they were huge uh, Knicks fans. And right. so and there was this draft pick that, that that happened around that time. It's like, oh, what the fuck is this? Like this draft pick sucks. 
And they end up talking like for the first 15 minutes when they got there, it's like, it's like, Hey, uh, everything going okay. It's like, no, I'm not okay. Like this draft pick sucks. And like, they end up like having this like moment together talking about how like the Knicks suck. And of like, of course they did. New Yorkers love bitching to each other about the Knicks. Hey, I'm not a Knicks fan, but I feel like I have to stick up. For <laughs> yeah. New yeah. It's like, <laughs> that's what. <laughs> and Rob Reiner is like, they go on for like 15, 20 minutes and Rob Reiner's like, um, is it okay if we actually audition for the part real quick? Yeah. <laughs> and but like uh, he he killed the part and got the got the part. And maybe it was partly because of like their their uh I mean it helps because of the Knicks. So yeah, I mean, hey, you want you want chemistry with your director as much as you want with your fellow actors, right? So like yeah, well, it's nice to have that. And sports, I feel like sports can apply. Like you can get there so fucking quick off of that. I can tell you how many times I've been to a Sharks game, and it's like the guy sitting next to me. By the end of the first period, I'm just like, this guy could easily be my best friend because said, of the fact that you like the same team. We've said yeah. four words to each other, high fived twice, and this guy. That's how just, simple men are. It's just like, Dude, yeah, you like sports. Me like sports. I, yeah, I, have lifelong, yeah. I have lifelong friendships because of sports. You know, it's it's. <laughs> I mean, look, we're talking, we're friends just because we talk about movies. So that's too, that, that's the other thing. It's movies, movies. sports, games. Those are the it's things. So that, e- no, it's like, like, you like cars. Oh, I'm into cars. You know what I mean? Like dudes yeah. are just like that. Yeah. You know? Like, oh, you like beer? I like beer. Oh, yeah. you should hang out. Like, that's all yeah. it takes. Yeah. You smoke pot? Oh, I smoke pot too. Like, you know, like that's it. And then you got a lifelong best friend, maybe. Locked in, dude. <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. We're so simple, but it, I gotta love it. Um, but yeah, Humperdinck, I got, so I got vibes like, um, Lord Farquaad, uh, Farquaad. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, I wonder if Lithgow or the movie, the people that made Shrek were influenced by oh, his Oh, they absolutely did. Now that I, dude, that makes so much. He's got me. that yeah. Lord, uh, Lord Farquaad, like small dick energy, sort of like, yeah. you know, um. It almost seems like a combination of the characters of Humperdinck and, uh, Vicini. Rugen? Vicini. Well, I was, I was thinking Vicini, right? Cause he oh, has okay. kind of like. He's that small guy running around like yeah okay my, like the little me, small guy yeah like, I got you know that what I, mean? I can see that yeah it's interesting though because I was like watching this and I'm like man he reminds me of Lord Farquaad Farquaad from uh, Shrek like a lot right now part of it's his garb you know and his position you know yeah in the movie but um just like also just his energy too just reminded me of it I thought that was interesting but yeah at this point like in the film I'll be honest at this point in the film I feel like. Once you get to this point where like Wesley's with um, he's 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 bested the three mercenaries. Mm-hmm. He's gotten back to his girl. We know that it's his girl. She doesn't yet know. And we get in glimpses of like Humperdinck and his crew, like how good he is at tracking. And I feel like with that and the set pieces and the costume design and the acting, like I feel like at this point in the film, you got to be in like invested in this thing. Like yeah. you got to know that there's a magic to this film off the bat. At this point, talking about it as a viewer or as the people making this it? This is a viewer, like it's like say, let's say a first time viewer, like you're watching this film and you get to this point where just like we're seeing these great vistas, these mm-hmm. great characters and acting and like set pieces. Totally. And I just feel like at this point, even though you haven't seen the rest of the film, I feel like if, for a first time, you're probably just like, yeah, I'm I'm about this right now. Like I'm digging yes. this, you know. Totally. One one question I have because there's only like there's like one we- kind of weird part of the film that I wasn't quite sure about. So obviously Wesley has been gone for five years, thought to be dead, mm-hmm. right? Dread Pirate Robert. And, yeah, and when he first meets with when he meets back up with uh, Buttercup, 
there's this weird exchange after like Vicini dies, you know, the, the laughing pit. Ah, yeah, you know, he dies. That scene is a little weird, to be honest. Like, the, well, he, like, he almost, like it, it, now, is he actually mad? Is he testing her? He's oh. testing her. I it's it's a definitely a combo thing because there's no way I don't I don't think he understands that she truly like I think it's I think he's like you dirty oh, yeah, rock bit. I've been trying to get back to you I get here and you're fucking snuggled up with this lord fuckwad guy like nah I think there's a little bit of that but yeah at the same time too he's testing her because he's cutting her slack like I don't you know I was pronounced dead like I get it like but at the same time he thinks in his mind at first, yeah, like, oh, she easily moved on. Right, right. It strikes me as one of those scenes where, like, she was given away from her dad or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, to this prince. Yeah. So it's like she yeah. had no say in the matter. And women had, you know, fucking zero right. rights at this time in history. So it's like, you know, what was she supposed to do? She's making the best of it. She's holding sure. out that love for Wesley. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the book speaks on a little bit more about like you know the the importance of that scene, but which is kind of we don't get that in the movie. I that's why I kind of do want to read the book just just to see if there's a little bit more there. But yeah, the in this movie it just felt that scene. That's the one kind of like weird scene where I wasn't really sure like what what the motivation was there. I like that <laughs> moment with them though, where they take a moment to breathe and. You're just wondering, like, is she going to recognize that it's him through voice? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. You can't see his face and right. got this you know, looks like suave Zorro. mustache now. Like, yeah, dude is a suave looking dude. Like, he is. I'm, he I'm, is. Like, he looks like, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I would date him. Like, I'm yeah. just saying you'd have to. Yeah. But um, I yeah, they have that moment. And I think he's just testing her mostly. Yeah. Just to see if her love still is still there. And, you know, regardless of what, what she's done to survive, like, he just wants to know, like, do you still love me? Is it there? Does it burn in you? Yeah, I like that. From yeah, me. I like that. That's what I think. I don't think he's being super petty as much as, like, yeah, maybe he's a little angry. I could see it, you know, because yeah. of what, you've got, what he's gone through to get right. her back. But and he doesn't, he doesn't know, know that. how she feels. So. Yeah, but I think that moment where she recognizes who he is, she gets so pissed off, she throws him off the hill. Yeah. And he says, as you wish, because that's the one thing that she would know. Right. As he's going down. And the story he tells, too, is great of like, oh, yeah, I remember your your love and how he died. Yeah. And he tells a story of like, oh, well, I told him why I wanted to live was for true love. Right. And and, you know, I killed him. But, you know, I was still I was interested in what he had to say. It was an interesting, you know, plead plead for for his life. But um, it turns out, you know, that's just what happened to Wesley. And that's that's what he said to the Dread Private Roberts who let him live. But I love the moment of like him falling down the hill and he's just like, as you wish. And then she realizes right away. Oh, Wesley. Yeah, (laughs) and she jumps over the edge too. like instead of running, she just dives down and they tumble. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But um, I just love that. And there's that moment where he he like uh, goes over to her like off the ground once they roll down and like, are you okay? Can you move or um and she says something like you're alive i could fly if you needed me to you know what i mean like yeah, she's yeah. just so elated to know that he's alive and i think those moments they're cheesy but they're perfectly cheesy like they, they earn they earn that moment they're storybook cheesy like you know because fred savage is being read this from his grandpa it's coming right. out of a book but at the same time they work so well for the scene to connect us to this couple of like you do feel like oh you know like there are couples out there that just feel like driven together 
by true love. And like, who, who are we to say whether it's a real thing scientifically or not? Like it's right. in this film, it is, it's a driving yeah. force. Like, and I dig that about this film. I think it's, it's not cheesy to me that that's like a plot point in this film is that love conquers all sort of, you know, and it's cheesy. It sounds cheesy when you say it like that, but yeah, yeah. I do have a question for you guys though. At this point in the film, like, how do you fellas feel about like, there's a lot of characters in this film. Do you think that the film does a good job of like showcasing them all and kind of balancing them? I think so, because, you know, it, there's a lot of characters. Yes. But we do get like a lot of nuance with the character. Cause I, I cause yeah. when I was doing our, my, my character list here, cause I, I kind of highlighted who the main, really the main characters were. And I think they all have like their own, like small little place. Like Prince Humberdink is very uh, in, an interesting villain. They're all very distinct. Yeah, Rugen is interesting. You have obviously you have like the three uh, mercenaries with uh, Bassini, Inigo Montoya, Fessick, and then you have mm-hmm. Buttercup and um, and uh, Wesley. Wesley in dual roles playing two different characters. You yeah, know, Wesley, yeah. the, Black, the Man in Black, Dread Pirate Roberts. He's yeah. doing he's doing a couple different things there. But it's yeah, it's it, I I buy into it. And it's, then all just all the side characters like. All the little well, ones. Like, the casting, just every character just hits like perfectly. There's not a single character that I'm like, oh, I, they're miscast. No, no, this is this is one of those films where it's like, no, no one else could do these roles. I mean, like they, everything fell in line for yeah. a perfect casting. It was like a I movie got a miracle. You, Berg. Do you think you shoot this movie more bail because it's something that you watched in the theater as a child with your dad, so it's easier for you to be like. Fuck yeah, this movie's perfect. You know what? I could say that could be a, a factor. Like, yeah. obviously, it is. Right. But the fact that this film still is as popular as it is in pop pop culture, Speaks and everybody I ever meet that I fucking shoot the shit with about this movie tells me how much they fucking loved it and how much it resonated with them and that their kids loved it, tells me that it's not just me and my, you know, nostalgia glasses. It's it's This film is fucking magical. It's one of those small, like, there's not too many, there's some fantastic movies out there, right? But there's only a few that just have this vibe for people that resonate, right? Like, Jaws does it for people. Some people, you know, Superman, or I don't know, like, whatever the film is that does it for you. This is one of those films that just, I don't know, there's a movie magic to it, and it just brings me back as soon as I watch it. Yeah, totally. And like I said, for me, I'm coming to this film for the very first time. Yeah, right. I wasn't, you know, it's like, uh, it can't live up to the hype, right? Like, it's, everyone talks about it. It's so awesome. There's no, there's no problems with the film. What, you know, it's like all blah, 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 blah. And initially I was like, nah, there's got to be something that's not like right about the film. And man, I don't know, man, it captured me right away. I just, I, and the more I dived into the film, I watched the film. I started watching stuff about it. I, you know, I, you know, I got my la da look in my face with my Criterion collection of. Oh, la da That's a gorgeous (laughs) book, though. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, I watched all the extras and like the, the, the cast and crew talking about their experience with the film, like what they enjoyed about how awesome it was for them. And I just realized this is just a really, it's a magical time that everyone had. And to be honest, like that magic kind of rubbed off on me too. And man, it's—I don't think it is nostalgia. I think it is just a great film. It w- and we'll talk about how why it wasn't received well initially. Like but, I don't have kids, but if I had a kid, this is one of the films that's on the list. That's there. Oh, gonna... absolutely. Yeah, I'm the same same way. You know, it's uh, you know, like we're gonna have a moment 
where we watch Princess Bride together. Yeah, for me, it's gonna be when they're. It's, it'll be the same thing like my mom did with me when they're sick or yeah. if we're watching this movie. Bomb. Yeah, it's a bomb ass movie to go that way, and it has that already in the in the story. You know what I mean? So right. it kind of resonates with a little kid, like, oh man, that's like me right there. Automatically, boom! You're in Fred Savage's place. Yep. You're with the audience, and you're invested. This movie invests you quick, bro. It yeah. does. Well, we got things great. The, yeah, oh, for sure. Well, we're gonna that skip is probably another. the best part. The best part about the it. pacing is like chef's kiss. Yeah, uh, awesome. Yeah, like I'm saying, it's like we're gonna skip another kissing scene to get to the fire swamp. That sounded cool. But he doesn't want to start. Like he's starting to get invested. He doesn't care yeah. about things that he didn't like a lot because <laughs> he's like, I just like the car. You know what, Wesley? If he wants to kiss his girlfriend, he's earned it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but he the kid's actually getting happy to see the couple together. Like he's invested, right? Yeah, at that point, does, the movie yeah. tore away as the audience totally, and that's where the magic is. There's a layering, like you said, to this movie where like we're watching the grandson and the grandfather, and then there's sentimental moments right there. For us as viewers that spend time with our grandparents or our dads or moms or whatever, right. anybody that was like was there for us as a kid and read us stories or whatever, and then we get the magic of the movie that is you know it's fictional but fuck we're already invested in all these characters they're so interesting, right and distinct. We get the swamp scene next, which is like a awesome set piece. It yeah. looks gorgeous. So let's talk about the fire swamp. That was the first day of filming. Was the it fire? Was. Yeah, for yeah. Uh, for Robin Wright too. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> it's like, all right, we're gonna set our our leading lady on fire the first day of filming. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, imagine that. Um, you know what I feel- it looked like to me? It looked like the 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 fucking bog from Labyrinth. Well, I do get similar vibes from this and the bog of the Eternal, Eternal Stench or whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah. It reminds me of it a little bit. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So also- What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, finish your finish your. No, go uh, ahead. Yeah, I'm. Just, I just, I was just pointing out. It's, it's. Uh, I, I definitely got that same kind of vibe. But no, I do like just to touch on the moment where her dress gets caught on fire. I love how like Carrie Ellis, um, like puts it out, and there's a moment where he, like, you get it. You're like he's gonna do whatever it takes to take care of his girl. Like this is his girl. He cares nothing else more in the world besides her safety. So like the way he just kind of like, don't worry about it. I got this. He puts out the fire. Helps her up off the ground. I'm just like, damn, this dude is charming as fuck. Yeah, and he's just super calm about it, yeah. telling the story. You know, just yep. like yeah, because that because he's learned the pattern. Walk through. That's where he's letting her know, like, oh, I was out there. This is what happened. You see, yeah. a dread Robert Pirate is fucking actually. It wasn't even him. It was the guy before him and before him. And and he's I just like cutting shit down. And and he's just he's just super calm. And like fire is going off, he's spinning her around. He's like, "Oh, watch your step." He's there. already learned the mechanics. It's like a video, like a video game. Yeah, like yeah, he's, he's like, "Oh, in- fall, bro." Yep. He's like, "Oh, it's gonna make a three noise, and then boom, the fire is gonna come out." So I'm just gonna move you. Yeah, I love that a moment because she's like not as scared anymore about where she's going because she's with Wesley and he has yeah. it under control. Dude is smooth. What so was the last thing? It's the the rodents of unusual. The rodents of an the unusual size. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna talk. The real so, thing, guys. I live in New York. We have some pretty big fucking rats in the city. <laughs> yeah, You've seen that one carrying the pizza away, right? Like I know everybody's seen that picture. But uh, yeah. no, so I got <laughs> I got some stuff with this scene in the uh, in the fire swamp. So this was like I said, this is the first day of filming. Those were obviously people in suits, right? Like walking around. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about that because there's yeah. there's a very interesting uh, uh, reason why we're gonna talk about this. So I wanna. Uh, 
So there was two guys in a suit that were in rat, big rat suits, obviously. There were two midgets. And one of them just got fucking plastered like one night after filming. We got a DUI and was begging the cops like, hey, like, I can't. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm making a movie. movie. Can you <laughs> let me go? And it's like, well, what part are you playing? It's like, well, I'm a giant rat. And so oh they didn't believe him, obviously. And so the production company had to break him out of jail so it could, because he was an important part. He was the rat that could move super fast. They couldn't get anybody else. Oh, he was, he was a star rat. Yeah. So there's two rats. So one guy was able to <laughs> kind of like do, do some of the more acrobatic stuff. <laughs> Johnny cracking up. And then you and then you had one guy that would like move super fast. So it was like <laughs> Imagine that, like, oh man. I've got top rat in the fucking Princess Bride. Like, I'm super pumped. Whoa. I can't wait to tell my mom that like I'm a... fucking top rat. Yeah, hey, bring, bring in the midgets. No, wait, you uh, don't understand. Hey, could you get on all rat. fours? We need to see how fast you can scurry. Yeah, all right. Well, my scurry good. skills are finally going to come <laughs> yeah. in handy. I've been practicing them for years. Now, now, I know Peter Dinklage is very upset about this, that some midgets played at rats. You know, but that's, you know. Honestly, I don't think, I don't know if midget's the proper term anymore, but. Well, according to I'll, Peter, I'll read Penny later. According to Peter Dinklage, that's as bad as the N word. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't use either of those. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm gonna have to cut this entire section. I know, right? The, anyway, uh, but uh, no. So here, so here's some other some other news concerning the fire swamp scene. Uh, concerning Carrie Elwes, he uh, so before filming, Andre the Giant had been bugging him like, "Hey, drive my ATV, boss. You know, it's gonna be a lot of fun." Now, Carrie Elvis has never driven an ATV before, and he finally like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll I'll ride this thing, have have a good time. He ended up wrecking the thing, and his his foot got caught between the clutch and the uh, pretty much like kind of the 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 floor of the car, and it broke ATV his car, broke his toe. Like it was essentially like essentially bent it ninety degrees and broke it. But he, but he never drove a fucking car before. He didn't. No, no, it was an ATV. No, no, no. It's a no, quad, he, quad, he hadn't quad. driven an ATV before, accident. so it was it was kind of like, which is different than driving a car because you're 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 doing different things than that. It's no, kind of like a motorcycle car, essentially. Also, giving a gas is a lot different. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's a very different way of driving. I've driven ATVs; they're very different than a car. Okay, but uh, he ended up, you know, kind of like I guess like I don't know how he wrecked it, but he wrecked it. Mm-hmm. Broke his broke his toe. His I think his big toe. It was like bent in all fucking weird directions. But he begged the cast and crew, "Do not tell Rob Reiner that I broke my toe. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just deal with it." So because he didn't want to, he was like, "I'm the star of the film. I'm gonna get fired. I don't want that to happen." Yeah, he'll have a and problem. so there are certain parts of the film that you see him maybe like walking a little weird, uh, especially the fire swamp scene, uh, doing all. And so he's I didn't notice it. Around. Yeah, if you're not looking for it, you don't notice it. Yeah, and it turns out, speed. and it turns out that like it's like once they like Rob Reiner, oh, uh, like because he would also sit in like a weird. Because I think the um the scene like with him and Vicini, like he kind of sat in like this weird way. It's like oh, he's sitting very elegantly. Like Rob Reiner does, sit is to a do the character choice. It's like no, he was just sitting that way because he could favoring his. Yeah, he didn't want his foot to bump into anything. Probably. Yeah. So. Eventually, Rob Reiner found out. It's like, why didn't you just tell me? Like, you're the star of the film. Like, you're not going anywhere. Like, it's like we, you, you, you're hurting me by like, you know, by, yeah. your toe. Back. So they, so they took him to the hospital in his man in black costume. Got his toe fixed. Got everything kind of squared away there. And then the scene 
right after they uh buttercup and uh uh wesley get out of the fire swamp where he gets uh uh essentially knocked out by prince rugen he actually got knocked out like for real like they had to take him back to the hospital oh, and they hit him on the head yeah he got he got knocked out for real so he went back to the hospital again several weeks later with a con- concussion or whatever and that scene where he out. wakes up in the pit of despair they just brought him there he didn't even know yeah. he, just <laughs> him he just wakes and up there and he's just action oh, the fuck? they're probably like wondering it's like what the fuck film are you making <laughs> yo just to go back to the uh fire swamp scene like just the location i love the 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 bursts of flames i think are a great touch Mm-hmm. The rodents of a usual size, awesome. The the fact that they exist, like the that Wesley goes, I don't think those exist. Meanwhile, he's just already seen them, like over. Yeah, like, what? Shoulder. That's another weird scene, right? Like he's seen them. Like why? Well, he's he- seen them, but he doesn't want to alarm Buttercup. So he's like, yeah, they, I don't think they exist. Meanwhile, he's like, we need. But then at that same moment, he kind of scurries her away. Like we need to get out of here. Yeah, so yeah. he's aware of him. He just doesn't want her to be aware of him. Why yet does he because- draw his sword? And he thinks like, well, I guess if if we get going, they won't bother us. But, you know, they're aggressive. So and they go after him. And then there's a moment where Humperdinck and Count Rugen have a, a funny exchange and where Humperdinck says to him, like, uh, what, have Wesley thrown in the pit of despair. But he like mutters it to him, like under his breath, because he's saying at that same moment to Buttercup that he's going to bring her bring him to back to his ship so he can sail free and, right, you know, live his life. He's not going to do anything. Um, but he doesn't. And then I like that Rugen says, like, I swear it will be done. And it's like the same lie that Humberdink just said. Yeah, it's what he just told her. Buttercup. I was like, there is this like camaraderie between these two. Oh, for sure. Um, it's interesting. It's uh, they're cool characters. I like the the six figured man. The, his demeanor is interesting. He gets off on people's pain. There's that moment later where yeah. turned up to 50. But then once it's turned up to 50, he's so inquisitive of like, well, what's Ooh. it going to look like now? Yeah, he's on 50. Like, I'm not going to stop it now. I need to know. So I, I do love that. And they um, I don't know. They like fucking suck the life out of Wesley down there in the yeah. pit of despair. And I do love yeah. that little area after and the albino. I think he's so disgusting looking. <laughs> it's a great oh, dude. Yeah, his whole end, when he comes in and he's like, <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, he oh, clears his throat. oh, sorry about that. <laughs> there's, this yeah. throat great, man, there's this great blend of like the comedy and the seriousness and right. melange, if you will. Um, yeah. Just like, yeah, like the film just has these little moments where we go like, well, now we're going to have a little com- comedic moment. Now we're going to have some uh, yeah, intense moment. Like when Wesley's getting tortured, it's not nice. It looks Horrible. I love the the machinery of it all too, though, like mm-hmm. the flowing water that activates it, and like it's interesting. These little like suck pods that are stuck to his flesh. I don't know, it's supposed totally. to suck out his life force or whatever. But it, it looks like a medieval invention. The way it's, you know what right I mean? Yeah. yeah, I buy I buy into it. Apparently, <clears throat> in the book, it was called. It was going to be not the pit of despair, but it was going to be the zoo of death. And so, uh, Inigo and Fesic were going to fight through the all these like the zoo of death. Animals. That sounds really dumb. <laughs> but apparently it's pretty fun in the book. I'm glad That's it's right. just a hollowed out tree with a fucking torture rack downstairs or something. I think I think this works so much better for the film. Yeah. Like, and it's, so it's that cool Frankenstein kind of yeah, like the albino yeah, reminds me of like a Igor sort of character. Totally, well, totally. And that's what the albino is. He's Igor. Yeah, Igor. Yeah. Um <laughs> he's really good. I, I like his character. And I just do I feel for Wesley at this moment too, because I'm just like, fuck, man, you went through all that shit in the beginning. You bested right. those three guys, you got us through the fire of the, the, the fire swamp or whatever. And then like they strip your girl away from you again. 
and she kind of gives you up for, just well you know you understand because she's trying to save his life right that's the right yeah so she's like i'll make a deal but as long as the love of my life i don't have to like suffer the thought of his death ever again because she's already gone through that and now that she's got him back she's like no way am i doing that again like and i right. get that i think it's a good spot of acting too on their parts like i think um i think wesley's character is just like really good i like i think he's a uh, I don't know. He's just he's got that leading man kind of quality in this film. And I, yeah. I dig that. And I think it harkens back to like those older films, too, like um, Rob was mentioning before. But um, I just that must have sucked really bad. And then Wesley notices the sixth finger on Rugen. Yeah. Our reveal of who the six fingered man is. Yep. So I do dig that little bit of in- intrigue. And then you're just kind of uh, as an audience member for the first time, you're kind of just like, man, I can't wait till Inigo fucking finds out. Yeah. You get that. Oh, you're just like, oh. Yeah, because you just know how much that means to an ego. Yeah. And well, I love that we see this. Uh, we get this moment with Buttercup where it seems we think that she's getting married. Um, us as the audience are thinking it's real as well. Yes. Yeah. So is Fred Savage's character, the grandson. Yeah. Um, And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. And, I have like there are moments that you could tell it's a dream because it's like this illumination behind her as she's revealed as the queen. and Right. But you're like, okay, maybe they sped ahead. And there's an announcement that she's the queen, and Buttercup has this nightmare. It's, it turns out that it's a nightmare, but she has there's this hag that like heckles her. Yeah. She's coming down. She's like, very Monte Python esque. Did you guys see that woman's eyebrows? Yeah, dude. It wasn't a unibrow, bro. It was more like the exact opposite of a unibrow. Those things were attempting to like leap off the sides of her face. They were so extreme. Did you see them? They like, curved up and like i thought they were part of her hair as it was the middle and then i realized that's her fucking eyebrow like (laughs) jettisoning off her fucking brow like dude that thing was like two inches off her face i I don't know why i do not remember i hung a christmas ornament on it or something i thought i i i I was waiting for this moment because i totally thought about you when i was i forgot about those they were so accentuated i was like crap look at these fucking things (laughs) And she's like coming into camera. That's why she's like coming at us as the orange. She's like, Bing! yeah, dude, that, I, that's I remember. I don't know why it had been a while since I watched this movie. And as I was watching it, I was sitting there and it's like as soon as it as soon as she starts, as soon as she walks out and everybody bows down, it's like in my mind, I something just clicked. And before the lady even said it, I'm, I'm just like I'm sitting there at work and I was just like, Bing! Like I just knew it was fucking, and I was just like, "Oh shit, is yeah. it?" And it comes out, and it's just, I, I don't know. The moment was, uh, it was fucking bizarre, dude. I was just yeah. like, "Why is it's, why well, is it's this supposed to be dreamlike?" You know what I mean? Because she yeah, is dreaming. Yeah. Well, so just I mean the fact that it was so ri- like I don't know why I remembered it so vividly. Like it was like this is. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" What? Well, I think it's a small moment in the film, but it is like the imagery of her like approaching the camera. And like, especially if you saw this as a kid, like, uh, oh, sure. Yeah, that'd be kind of scary. Like she's approaching yeah. you and she's like she's getting she's bigger like and louder. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could yeah, see this. Perfect. And then like the look on uh, Buttercup's face, too, is like alarmed. So oh, you're terrified. Sort of like, oh, shit. Like, like who the fuck, the fuck is this? <laughs> is this going on for real? I know. I know Heidelberg is turned on by the weird eyebrows. I know he he looks for that. I, look, I don't have a kink towards eyebrows. I just I'm inquisitive about them. Like I kind of want to categorize. Like I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm. A, some people might call it obsessed with certain forms. Are, are of we? Get, are we, is that going to be our thing? We're going to categorize like 
like the craziest eyebrows and you want it like in cinema yeah we should like we should we should we do like the x-files and we're like yeah so far i think uh what's his face from yo jimbo i believe yo jimbo's is by far the most his is very his eyebrow is uh, his eyebrow should have got a nod, a nod for like maybe supporting actor or something. I think yeah, it's very versatile. Like it moves around a lot. I thought it, it was it. natural too. I thought that was his natural. It might as well been. It yeah. looked. Um, Inokichi. So, yeah, Inokichi is definitely the star Inokichi. of the. Uh, he's the head of the head of yeah, the. His power. eyebrows. Fuck all the rest of the acting in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the scene we get Wesley's tortured. Yep. Right, and then Humperdinck finally decides to just end it. After lying to what's your name about like he comes up with that deal with like well you'll marry me if at this moment we right. haven't reached Wesley border. we'll make we'll let Wesley decide whether he wants to come back for you or not but he never actually reaches out because he's down in the torture chamber and we right. learn how the machine works but we learn that like five years has never been tested let alone fifty and he raises it all to fifty yeah and this blood curdling scream yeah by wesley that is heard throughout the land like everybody hears it nobody knows i bet some people know where it's coming from it's coming from that spot in the woods that they're told not to go to you know what i mean right well there there is uh the people who know are anigo fessick well they know who it is but i'm sure there's people in like the town have heard maybe heard screams coming from well actually no because this machine's not really been tested that much it sounds like like, it sounds like yeah yeah, it sounds like the man in black is actually one of the first people to be tortured by it yeah tortured to death um, and i just do love that moment of like this blood curdling scream it's so guttural and i think it's like i love that what's his name anigo says like i know that noise it's the sound of um ultimate suffering and i yeah. it's the same noise i made when my father died like yeah i'm just like damn that shit's fucked up so they they try to find it and they find the albino with the wheelbarrow in the woods and the woods setting is just beautiful i love oh, it oh yeah i think it looks great i know it's like fake but it looks great um and we get this moment where they capture the albino and Inigo says, jog his memory for us. And he hits him. Fezzik hits him on the head and just knocks him <laughs> out. And he's like, I, I think I jogged his head, his memory too much. Like, yeah, knocks him the fuck out. Like he just keels over. And so now they have to find the secret entrance to the pit of despair, as it's called. Yep. And Inigo has this moment where he just lay, sits down on his knees with his sword and holds it in the mist and the sunlight. And like, it's, it's cheesy, but it's awesome all at the same time. And he has oh. this moment, and we accentuate, we accentuate like the sword too. It's bathed in light, and it looked gorgeous. And it's like wrapped around his hand because the hilt has like all this like fucking work around it, like extra metal work that like rips or grips around you. Uh huh. And I just kind of love this moment of him just like speaking with his dad, like I'm so close to catching the man that killed you. It's right please, there. Yeah. Please, please, just bless me with something. Like, a t- just help me, guide me any way that you can. And he fucking ends up like embedding the sword in this tree and he gives up. He's like, oh, obviously he didn't do anything. Like, it's just my yeah. my, my blind faith is like, it's stupid. It's foolish. But then he leans against the tree and sure enough, he finds a secret entranceway. The knot that um, uh, Christopher Guest's character earlier said, um, Rugen, it's impossible to find. It's so hard yeah, to yeah. find. Him himself couldn't even find it at first. But yeah, um, and they go down there and they find Wesley. He's fucking dead. Like, to them, oh. he's totally dead and they end up taking him and this is where we get billy crystal's character miracle max they take oh yes so this character billy crystal like is just fucking hilarious in this role yeah small role like i've said about a lot of the characters here like 
they're small little appearances, but man, they're so memorable. Yeah. So this this role, Miracle Max, William Goldman wanted. Do you want to know who he wanted? He wanted uh, uh, Mel Brooks in okay. that role. Rob Reiner outruled him. It's like, well, the problem is uh, that when people see him, it's like they're just going to think of Mel Brooks. So they got Billy Crystal, who's obviously been in, uh, you know, he this is like peak Billy Crystal. And then you also have Carol Kane, who had been in Taxi. Uh, more people Dude, would probably. She kills it now. as his wife. Dude, yeah. she's awesome. She's also um, what's uh, the what's the show? Uh, the with... fucking scene when Wesley says true love and 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 Miracle Max tries to like the <laughs> yeah to blave you know obviously yeah. and then she just comes in lawyer yeah <laughs> no what I, what I, the part that I really loved was like when um Inigo was like. You know, his wife was, uh, you know, crippled yeah, yeah. and his kids are he starving. It's a like good sob story, but it's like you're you're that's not the real story. What's the real story? It's like, I, I want revenge for my father's death. Your first story was better. You know? story was better. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, it's oh. true love or something. I don't remember. But uh, most of these lines were completely uh, just uh, it was all improv by Billy Crystal and Carol Kane. Dude, they're so their chemistry on screen is so epic. Yeah, seem pretty it's, locked in. Yeah, as this like sort of like hobbited sort of couple that live in like a fucking tree stump or whatever it is that they live in. Like it's so cool. This Miracle Max character who's like an awesome problem, like sorcerer or whatever it is that he does. Yeah, ocean maker. Humperdinck, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. Ah. <laughs> yeah, you uh, are the brute yeah. squad, and I yeah I am the brute squad. <laughs> you are, <laughs> she is. I'm on the brute the squad, brute. and she's like he's like yeah you are the brute squad. Yeah, I think Billy Crystal kills it, and I don't know how much of it was scripted. It doesn't sound like any of it was, really. So yeah. him, so Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, before they got on set, they had, you know, before they moved, they went over to England, they worked together to kind of, like, you know, work on this scene together. Because they're only in one scene. This is this is the only scene they have. I know. It's so good, though. Which is crazy. They, but they worked their ass off to kind of work on a... Like a dynamic? The script that Rob Reiner and Bill Bowman put together. But they they kind of did their own thing with it, and it's brilliant. It's like it really what, this whole three minutes, three maybe four. Yeah, but they chew up the scenery in that three minutes oh, and yeah, just totally do. command the. It's so it's I'm just I'm blown away by like how how many like how many people that worked maybe five minutes on uh, you know on like a certain scene, but it looks like they worked their ass off. I mean, they did a great job. Even like the the like you have like the priest. You have like the the castle guard. You have Miracle Max, his wife. They're on screen for so little time, yet they are they're putting together this great performance. That's a testament, also not just to the performances, but the writing. The characters I, are so well written that like, and these actors can come in and just take what they know about these characters and then run with it. But I think right, I think the bones are super strong, and that's what makes this movie so. I, I, memorable i also think that this has a lot to do with rob reiner and i what, oh, absolutely. I've, heard about, what I've heard about his films is that there he is There's heart of, to them yeah he has uh yeah i might not like him like some of his personal feelings on things but i know he's a good person he like, and, Stand by me is one of my favorite films and that's he, his uh, he the way that he put stuff on screen like he he's actually a very kind director it's like hey let's you know okay i i got a way i want to do it 
Let's do it. But this he's way. open to suggestions. And yeah. It's like, but let, let's try it your way. And actors, and, actors' feedback and stuff. Yeah, which is yeah, key to I'm, actors enjoying the time that they spend with directors and they'll work together more. Exactly. And especially, and especially with this film in particular, do you see anyone saying like how like oh this is a fucking horrible film? Like, I hated my time there. Yeah, we're no. not getting like Cobra complaints like we did from Brian. Fuck no, we're not getting that. There's no, there's no like Stanley Kubrick hundred and fifty six takes of like him like berating somebody to death. There's none of that. Like everyone like liked working together. This this is I've never heard of a film set where everyone's like. like this was so much fun. We were a family. I think it's this evident in the scenes. It's evident on the film. It's it exudes, there. yeah. It's it's all in the scenes. Like it, they literally. That's why, I, like everybody, just hit their mark. Everybody did their thing. Like the music, the cinematography, the directing, the writing, the acting, the uh, you know, like everything. The comedic timing. Like it was all great. There's action. There's suspense, mystery. This film has like all of that. It has it all. It's, and it rides a fine line in between all those types of little little genres and tropes and stuff like that. And it, it like it's also, um, you know, it's like self-aware a little bit, too, of what it's doing, because it's a storybook that's being read to Fred Savage's character. Right. In real life, you know, I think, too, the other thing that like helps with this film is that they're all kind of like they're they're almost on like a summer camp because they're all they're all in England. They, yeah, they mentioned that they all spent nights together. Yeah, they're spending nights together, having some drinks. You know, uh, Andre the Giant's having a freaking barrel full of brandy. Dude, there's like twelve bottles of wine and like. God, <laughs> watch that, Doc. Dude, and he was like, like he was at like someone. I think um, who was it? Chris Sarandon was like, "Do you get drunk? Are you drunk from that?" Or and no. he was, like, "No, I get a little tipsy." A little tipsy, but no. Yeah. <laughs> like his oh man <laughs> i could just imagine his metabolism like the amount of calories he must ingest each day just being like a giant how tall was he exactly he was like seven five i think because there's that scene where where the man in black charges at him and kind of hugs him and you're like damn dude you're at his belt like dude his hand is like the size of my head it's my huge. mom saw him in our uh you know because he he was considered like a freak of nature for and then the wrestling circuit. He came and lived off of circuits like he just fucking traveled like it was like every week he was off doing, you know, wrestling the local talent all over the world. And she said he came out and when he walked to the ring, he had four fucking chicks, two in each arm. like he carried four women to the ring, two in each arm. And he just is oh, like just walks God. out as just like this mythical yeah, he was 7'4", 520 pounds. His shoe size was a 58, bro. Good fucking God. I mean, he really is a giant. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Good fucking God. I mean, like, because you think of, like, there's certain, like, you, you, when I think of, like, you know, super, like, you know, tall people, like, you think of, like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. But yeah. I think Andre the Giant is, like, a bigger dude. Like, yeah. you know, he seems like his hand size is bigger his foot size is bigger. He's just a big fucking guy. Well, it was wild. Like, even at one point, like, he finally goes to a doctor and they tell him, like, hey, yo, you have this disease. Like, you, your shit, you, we, we need to, uh, well, there's nothing we can do. We can't reverse it, but we can at least stop it. You know, we can stop it right now because basically your organs can't support you anymore. Like, you're, you're outgrowing your fucking organs. And he was like, uh, and he was just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. 
Like I just just let it rock because it was like the treatment was going to prevent him from being able to wrestle. Uh, and that was his livelihood. Yeah, and he was like, "Nah, I'm cool." That's why he died so early. Like, his he died in '93. He died not what long. Was a gentle giant too. Like that's like I know exactly. that's like a term people use, but literally that's what he was to people. Anybody's uh, life that he was in, he touched. Dude, like, I mean, like uh, Chris Brandon's kids were like, "Daddy, you're working with a giant. How big is he? Is he as big as a house? Is he as big as this?" Like, it's a pictures, and he has his. They didn't care what what their dad house. was doing. They wanted to see Andre the Giant, and like, because uh, uh, because they were working on location, a lot of their families like kind of went with them, and like he would have kids all over him. They it's loved actually him. odd because he's not like a big time actor, but at this point in his life, in this movie in 1987, he's sort of like one of the biggest deals in the movie. Yeah, like he's a big star as well as these other like like world world star. Robin world. Wright's not even a huge star at this moment. Actually, this is a more of a breakout role for her. Like he's world, he is world renowned. Yeah, he's like, Andre he's the Giant. So it's like, whoa, world. he's in a movie, and then he's epic. He's great in the movie. Like he's so charming. You love I his character, him. and there's like a little bit of it bleeds through, like of like you know the, his real life situation of being a giant. Like when he says, like I don't even need to work out. Like I'm just like the strongest guy. Like I feel like that's legit. Like that's really like Andre's thing. It's like. I don't need to maintain this. It's it's a blessing and a curse, you know? He's yeah, like, I, yeah. I can't help that I'm the biggest guy in the room. Like, that's just how I was, that's the cards I was given. But I do love his, there's moments that he has in this uh, movie that are really funny and charming too. I love the moment where, so I love like when they bring, so just, it's, it's this part, we're at this part anyway in the conversation. The man in black comes back to life. They give him the magic bean with the chocolate on the outside. It's, it's a funny looking little prop too. It looks like a, yeah. Looks like an acorn almost with uh, chocolate on it or something. It's or prune. Yeah, chocolate on it. Yeah, like like a hard prune. But yeah, they 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 give it to him early or whenever. I don't know if they follow all the rules, but they give it to him. It's a funny scene where he's like trying to they're trying to plan something. He comes to life like right away, but he can't move. And then like slowly he's moving. And like Fezzik's talking to him like, "Oh, you wiggled your thumb. That's amazing, isn't it?" Like what, he's so filled do, with. Do life. you think that? Do you think that Tarantino took that? Uh, inspiration from this scene. With, Wiggle your uh, big toe, dude. Big toe. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I mean, there might be another movie that actually did that already. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That might be an original idea. Excuse me. But I just love that moment with like Fezzik and then like um, um, Nigo talking to the man in black and like trying to like bring him back to reality because he's sort of out of it. Yeah. And because he, he even says to Fezzik early on, like, I'm not a strategist. We need to attack this castle. I, we don't have uh Fizzini anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're the muscle. We need the man in black. He knows that the man in black was so capable. You right. know, he bested all three of us and like look at him, like he was incredible. We need this man to do this. And then so that's why they try to find him. And then eventually they do, they revive him. But he's like, it's gonna take a while for him to even be able to move. And I love that like, okay, we get our main guy back, but he's like fucking incapacitated. He can hardly like wiggle his fucking arm. Like he can move his head a little bit and wiggle a thumb. And then like they're coming up this plan of like, oh, what if we did this? Uh, like, oh, we don't have the means to do anything. And he's like, they mentioned the wheelbarrow. And then like the man in black's like, why didn't you tell me you had the wheelbarrow? I was like, yeah. it's like as if that was a saving. Well, and, and the, oh, and the cloak of uh, the Holocaust or whatever the fuck it's called. It's, yeah. What? Wasn't like what was there was also that cloak that they needed, like the Holocaust. Oh, yeah, the cloak of uh, something. And then he just like pulls a cloak out of his pocket. Like, yeah, we had this. He's like, yeah, I took it from Miracle Max's. He's he said it fit so I could keep it. And then like 
they devised this scheme. And then they're like, I love the moment where they're all like moving because <laughs> the man in black's body is just limp. He can't move. So like he's like this prop that they're carrying around, but they're really acting alongside him. So they're like they're carrying him on his back and and it's just like in between it, they're like sandwiched and they're like trying to sneak around. And they're like, you realize like, oh, they're going to go. They have a plan. They're going to go get the wheelbarrow and we'll see where it goes from there. And then we get like cued into we see who's downstairs and there's that one guy with the one key who looks like the principal a little bit from Ferris Bueller. Stay off. Yeah. Goes, yeah. I thought it was the same guy with a wicked mutton chop. I was like, damn, bro. But I, it's not. All right, Fesic, right, tear his arms off. Okay, here, here's the key. Yeah. 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 They come oh, back with this key. crazy plan. Um, I'm the red pirate robber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Andre's speech is just hilarious, bro. I'm going to scale them. Light him on fire. Could you imagine, dude, that dude weighed like 500 pounds. Five, yeah, like 580, so Like For those two guys to carry him, which is basically an ego because he's carrying fucking the man in black on his back. Like that, yeah. that dude's like a limp dick at that moment. Like Hell yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like he's, he's just a, a floating head. He's just able to like get yeah. his head up a little bit. But he's but he's smart. He's a tactician, so he can help them at least. Neo you know, is super smart. Like that, they, they, people don't think that like like Neo and Fesic are actually very smart characters. Oh, they are. But like the Man in Black comes up with like the main scheme. Um, but right. they're the muscle that put it together because he can't even move at that moment. They need to basically buy themselves some time, get into the castle, and, and get buy enough time for the Man in Black to gain his senses back so that he can finally like help them out. And you know they're in a fucking combat like he just can't he can't fight and that's the major asset that he brings to the table is his fighting prowess yeah but i just love that yeah i'm the dread pirate robber it's like it's so dude. i'm going to steal your shorts <laughs> yeah and burn you alive he says i don't know what he says it's just it's so good i loved it i laughed at this time i was like man and there's that moment where you can see like it's just a dummy that they lit on fire and then they yeah, cut back to like yeah. Andre the Giant's real face where yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. like yeah he's up close and it's just like dude they're not the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even... whatever. it works I still love it I love it and I love like the fear that it brings to all the people there um, it's, it's a great plan like it bides them enough time and gives yeah. them that startling that was exactly what it was supposed to do dude just yeah. like they drew it up yeah, and we get to like the shots of the wedding going on at the same moment. We're cutting back and forth to the wedding. And yep. so there's like the escalation. Like, you need to get in there and set the wedding because she's about to marry him. Right. You want that to happen. And then like marriage. The marriage. That scene is just the way that guy was like shooting shooting air out of his mouth to like have this like lisp, this weird lisp. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Great acting. I loved it. Very ring. Yeah, so I love like these bits of comedy mixed in with the siege, which is kind of like, you know, it's like an action scene. So you're like, oh, shit, like, are they going to get in? They got to fight their way in now. Um, and they just the numbers outweigh them. They're like, they're like, dude, there's so many numbers against us. Like, how are we even going to take these many guys? Like, and he goes, like, I probably take like maybe 10, 10 to 15. Uh, and, and, you know, Fesic can take multiple guys like he's better at taking multiple guys than he is one guy. We saw that when he goes against the man in black. Yep. So he's all about like bum rush and shit. So like they get in the castle and we see that like the wedding ended or we think it ended, you know, the way that, that we didn't want it to. And Wesley's half alive. I don't want to say half dead because he's more like half alive. Yeah. Right. He's more alive as he goes. 
And so, like, they're carrying him around like this dead weight, and he's just like Carrie Ellis is just like slumped over Andre the Giant. It's so fucking funny, like how like he is on Andre the Giant the entire time. Like, it's so it's a good bit of acting because you know it's not like he's it's not even like he has to fake it. He's just kind of killing his weight, throwing his body weight on Andre, and Andre's so strong that he can just make him look like a fucking rag doll. Yeah, dude, it's fucking great. And then, so they end up, uh, they kind of running into uh, Count Rugen, and that's where it's like they have, like, oh shit, they're gonna, they're gonna have this like, you know, confrontation, right? At the moment, right? You know, he does the line. We get the line. Um, you know, you killed my father. Blah blah blah. And then he fucking takes off. He tears off, bro. He just turns around and runs away from it. Like, you think we're going to get this epic battle? It's going to start right here in the hallway. And it's going to be a fuck yeah, we're going to get the fight. And then he takes off. And, like, you even see, like, on the thought process, you hear his face. He's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like one of those moments where, like, you've envisioned this moment all your life or for a while, right? I'm going to ask out the girl that I like or whatever. It never plays out the way you built it up in your head, bro. You can have whatever speech prepared. It doesn't matter. In real life, shit plays different. It's not a movie. I love that they did. This is a great fucking choice that he just, Christopher Guest as uh, Count Rugen. It's just like a swerve. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. And there's like chasing. Which is kind of comical too, because we get this moment where Manigo hits this locked door, and you can hear the desperation in. Dude, he is like he like I don't know like what the store was made of. Manny Patinkin's like the, the desperation in his voice sounds legit. Like I am so That's close, That's on, like, I need you, like I need you so bad right now, bro. Like yeah. please, getting away. And then he hangs Wesley on like that suit of armor. Yeah, suit of armor, and he just like breaks down the door. Yeah, like but, easily, not even like charging it. He just right. It. He just kind of throws his shoulder at it. He's just like, Bleh. dude. And then like, Anigo Matoya is just like tearing ass at that point. After yeah. this, dude. Yeah, that scene too is also like really because Rugen throws that knife at him and hits him in the stomach. He's like, oh, yeah, he shit. hits him with a dagger. And and as an audience member, you think like is my that- blood's deflated. Like fuck. Oh, for He's sure. So close, bro. Like, and he looks defeated too. Like. The, the acting by Mandy Patinkin is so good. You're just like, fuck, bro. He's so defeated. And he said his little speech, and you think he's going to... Oh, he's so close. It's like, uh, you know, 20 years, I've been trying to find this he's, guy. Yeah, I he's found got no him backup, because I'm going to fail. goes back after the man in black, who's now missing. Right. Hmm. And we get these moments, like, cut. We're seeing Anigo's struggle. We're seeing, um you know, the giant, what he's doing. And then we're seeing a little bit of... um What's her name? Buttercup. Buttercup's decided she's gonna kill herself right. tonight. Yeah, it's all it's like, oh fuck, we're we're at like the worst possible moment of the film. Yeah. Like we think, oh everything it's like none of it's coming together. The assault's not coming together. Um she's obviously already married Humperdink, it seems, and then she, now she's just gonna kill herself because she knows that Wesley's not coming. And even if Wesley wanted to come, he can't right now because he's just like fucking a half dead person. Right. And we get more of an ego with it seems like to me, honestly, that he's failed. Oh, no. We also get at that same moment, we see Buttercup about to kill herself and Wesley's on the bed. She doesn't see him. And he. Yeah, injured. it'd be uh, it'd be a terrible thing. Like, you know, the, the world is it, very, yeah, it is. Has very few perfect breasts. It'd be a terrible way. <laughs> it'd yeah, be a terrible thing you, to ruin, yeah, ruin the viewers, basically, <laughs> which was pretty smooth. And, and then he looks like he's under control. He's like laying on the bed like and yeah, post it up. And he's like, yo, what's up? And she's like, oh, my God, you're alive. And he's just careful, like, careful, easy, careful. Yeah, he can't move. 
at this point. Like he's very, he barely got on the bed. I bet. So we cut back to Anigo, and he Anigo seems like he's failed. Like right, Doctor Revenge is done, and he's like he's not gonna make it. So he tries to get back up, but he's got that dagger in the gut, and he's got uh, several other injuries. At this point, he gets up, and the man in the man with the six fingers realizes who he is. Oh, you're that little runt that I let live, whose father I killed. Because we hear Anigo say to his father, "I'm sorry, I failed you." Like right. It was so close, but I yeah. felt. And then Anigo's like driven, so he gets back up. And like every time he gets back up, the man with the six fingers fucking strikes him down. It, yeah. You know, stabs him in the chest, hits him in the arm, and the the Anigo Montoya just looks like he's done. He's done, bro. He's bleeding out. Like there's no way. And then it's just all of a sudden, like he just gets like that second wind. And I love that. I don't know. Um, yeah, this like breathless uh, look. I am Nico Montoya. Yeah, and that's what it is. He basically starts harassing. Him. He's like yeah, terrorizing and- the man with the six fingers and, and like saying that over and over again. His mantra: "My name is Nico Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die." And he's saying it and saying it. And he keeps like you know defending the attacks, and then he goes on the offense. It, it's like almost like he goes from defense it's a to energy. Yeah. I'm a, my name is Inigo Montoya. Because we see that the man prepared to die. Yeah, we see Rugen basically been like, stop saying that. And he's getting frazzled now because right. of it. And he so, almost, we could see that there was a moment where he just looks at Inigo like, you're not a uh, like an adversary anymore. Like, you're pitiful. Like, I, I'm just going to finish you off. But he's watching him die slowly. That's what he's basically doing. He's just keeping an eye on him while he dies slowly from that gut wound. But then when Inigo starts coming back, it, it throws him off. Like, he's just sort of like, wait a minute, what? What is what this fucking fuck? driving force that you have? Like, I don't understand. Like, you were dead a minute ago. Yeah. And then it's like a, the, it's the, something yeah. out of an anime almost. Like, of like just kind of like he's summoning like some, something. It. I know you love anime. I'm just fucking with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. I can see that. It's just this rallying moment of like triumph for this character who's like, yeah, we're concerned about him because he looks like he's going to die any moment right now. And we're at least hoping at least achieve your revenge and then die after, if anything. You know, you get that samurai right. death or something like that, you know, um, that desperado moment or something like that. But, yeah, he's just, like, so fucked up. And then, like, there's that moment where he starts getting the best of the man with six fingers. And then he's inflicting the same injuries on him that were inflicted on him. He gives him the wound on the shoulder. The wound, Yeah, he gives him the cuts on the face. And at this point, the man in, in with the six fingers is just like done. Like he just wants to save his life. And yeah. an ego says something like, you know, promise me riches, promise me yeah. this, offer me this. And then like, hey, yeah, he offers it to him. And then he says, I want my father back. You and whatever. And fucking just God. runs him through with this sword. And it's such an impactful moment. I love it. I'm just like, yeah. yes. And that's where, like, you know, because I talked about that earlier with, like, the whole Mandy Patinkin talking about, like, how, like, you know, killing the six-fingered man is essentially killing the cancer that his dad, that killed his dad. That is, like, why that moment is so... uh, You can see it on his face. It means a lot to him in that moment when he says that words. Like, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Yeah, it feels real. You feel the pain and the anguish, and you feel... You feel the accomplishment of, yes, I finally stuck this sword that my father made through the man that killed him. Yeah, it's the big and payoff. Right. That's ex- that's the perfect word, John. It's a payoff. It is. It's a setup throughout the film and we finally get it and it pays off. And it's just like one of those things that movies do really well, like a good movie can achieve where you're just like, it's a rah-rah kind of moment. You're just like, Rob, for the first time you watch this at your house, right? 
-hmm. You hadn't seen it. You don't have the nostalgia of me and John. You didn't see it as a kid. But at the same moment, like this scene, tell me it doesn't still stick with you when you see it for the first time. It's great. Yeah. As long as you're not looking at your phone or doing something like, you know what I mean? This is one of those moments. Like, turn everything off and and enjoy two hours of this. Right. I I think that what also made it so much more impactful was like learning about how the actors like kind of got into that mindset. It's like, oh, like I, I almost, I, it's like I feel for Anigo. I feel for these characters because the, these care, these actors are bringing their own pain to this, like to these situations. And yeah, just man, it pays off so well. I definitely think it does, and it's played in contrast too of like Wesley's encounter with Humberdink because that's not as exciting at all. Right, Humberdink's kind of like a bitch, no. and Wesley sort of just outsmarts him with like smooth dialogue and biting yeah, his. I mean, it's a great scene, but it it's just, just like, them, compared to <laughs> yeah, yeah. compared to Rugen and um, and uh, Inigo, it's just it's not as good. I mean, it's like you almost wish that it was you know kind of like reversed, like the final scene was Inigo and Rugen fighting each other, or Inigo. I don't know. And- I, I I mean, I think it works well in contrast, but yeah, I can understand. It's a little like anticlimactic compared but what do you really i, I guess with humberdink it's like oh he's a good tracker he's good at this but he's not really like a swordsman i mean like i said it, it's a very small nick on a great movie and at this point in his life at this point in the movie he knows that so he thinks the man in black is okay to fight right and he knows that this is the dread pirate robert so like in his mind like this is one of the most deadly motherfuckers ever to walk the earth you know because right. of that lore of this the myth around the Dread Pirate Roberts. He doesn't know that it's just been a moniker kind of passed along throughout the years. And yeah, the motherfucker who takes that moniker is a badass. Right. That's how how the name stayed alive the way it does. But for him, he's like, there's no way I can beat this guy in a sword fight. fuck it. I'm just going to give up, (laughs) like, right away. You got it, boss. It's all you. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely get that moment of just like, and it's, I like it because it shows that Humberdink's just a pussy at the end. Which is like, yeah, you are. But um, no, yeah, uh, I. It's funny though, just that encounter there, because like Wesley's like insults, I think, are just really well written and like delivered really well. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, and then like the look of the look on uh, Buttercup's face, because she's sort of like, well, I don't know, how is this gonna play out? Like, what is what is Wesley? What does Wesley have that he's gonna do? Because she kind of knows at this moment, like, well, he can't move, right? Like, right. But then he gets up off the couch and like holds the sword out, but he can hardly hold that sword out. But it's it's cool for that one moment where he's just like, you know, like he's holding it out at your neck. It's like, I'll strike you down, you know? Yeah. And it's enough for Humperdinck to be like, fine, tie me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he has Buttercup tie him up, you know, because he can't move. But we don't, you know, she doesn't know that. I mean, he doesn't know that, Humperdinck. Right. And then it's revealed that, like, yeah, I was, I couldn't even fucking move a minute ago. Yeah. I just fucking did. <laughs> yeah. It was Humperdinck's like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> And what if you knew it, you didn't act, though, because you were still scared yeah. enough from the, the legend of the Dread Pirate Robert. Right. Then you ha- Couldn't and then make you the have- call. Then we get this awesome scene of just, like, everybody jumping out the window into what I, I believe is, like, Fezzik's arms. Like, even the even the dudes are jumping into his arms. Yeah, yeah. We don't see that as much, but I wish there was a moment where we just saw him catch, like, the man oh. in black and, a, and an ego Matora. There's this, like, sort of moment of, just like, I got you. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But... I love the moment of like the princess jumping out and she's fluttering through the air. Like she's just mystical, like a float. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, that was done 
one, because it, it, this is with the limitations they had, because Andre the Giant could not catch her, obviously. Right. So you have so you have Andre the Giant. He is actually so the way that they shot this in a special way, because he's actually on his back on like really? some sort of ramp. And you have Robin Wright on some cables that they're lowering down. Mm-hmm. But my God, does it look fucking magical? It looks good. It yeah, looks so good. I, it I looks cool. I mean, it's it, meant to look magical, right? So it looks a little fake on purpose because it's magical. It's it's storybook yeah. magic. That's what yes. we're witnessing right here. Please, right. so they use their limitations with the type of story that they're but trying. It works for the context of the film and the perfect. theme. It's because perfect. we're we're witnessing the end of a novel here. It's the end of it's the crescendo yes. of a novel where everything comes together and our heroes win. And the yep. princess gets saved. And like, that's what's happening. This is that epic moment in a book. And we're hearing it through Fred Savage's ears. Yeah, which is what you want in a kid's book. You want the heroes to win and you and want the bad guys to lose. That's what I think resonates really well with this film is that like, even, even as an adult, when you watch this film, it kind of makes you feel like you're seeing it through a child's eyes. And that is, if you're an adult that can open up to your inner child, you know, some people are reluctant. Like, oh, I'm an adult now. I can't, I can pay too many bills. It's like, dude, just relax and fucking enjoy yourself, man. Yeah. Live a little bit through the eight-year-old self that you were and remember that time, that simpler time when you went to the movies with your fucking parents. Right. And and fought with your brother over the best seat in the theater and ate popcorn and shared soda. Like, just right. enjoy that moment, you know? And at Cinemigos, that's what we're doing, right? Like, right. we're enjoying film moments where we're sharing those with each other. And this is one of those films that I think just, like, as a first-time watch, it just, it's effortless. It's, you just watch it. You could be 23, 33, 3. 13. It doesn't matter. I'm just going on threes, but I'm, um, I'm almost 40. Not, I love this film. Dude, yeah. this film just is awesome. Um, Let me see. Are there any other things that we really want to catch on? Uh, the, the catch from Fezzik awesome. As they ride off on white horses, really cool. The little rant of like Fezzik telling like, oh, I found these horses in the farm, yeah. like in the just barn. And, like, yeah. Hello, lady. Hello. And it was, yeah, it was like, he just like grabbed them. Yeah, hello, lady. Like he hasn't even tried to introduce himself to her. <laughs> They just kind of ride off. And there's that moment, too, where it's implied in the window that, like, maybe maybe if he survives his wounds, Inigo might take up the mantle and become the man in black. Oh, like, for sure. That's Dread yeah. Pirate Roberts. I'm envisioning, like, if there was a sequel, it would be about yep. him being, like, the Dread Pirate Roberts. Bingo. Yep, exactly. You know? Like, it's yeah, so there's, a, there's that, like, and he looks at it like, oh, I don't know. Like, he's skilled enough to be that dude. He could take that moniker. Oh, and yeah. That squab fucking debonair foreigner, like, pirate dude. What yeah. else is he going to do? Also has a heart of gold in a sense, you know what I mean? But he's just not showing it to the world because he's supposed to be this title that you're scared of. So, Right. But yeah, I think that's awesome. And then the film doesn't necessarily like walk you down that line. Like we're not like, yeah, he's definitely the pirate, but there's that possibility. And as a storybook, we're always wondering like, oh man, what happens next? And that keeps you kind of going with that like next chapter feel of like what a book's like, you know? I think that's cool that this film does that. And I think the end scene with the grandson and the grandfather and the kid asking, you know, um, he kind of makes it sound like, oh, it, it's up to you, Grandpa, if you want to. But if you wanted to, because I don't want to seem too, I'm too cool, but I don't want to seem like needy. But like, you know, if you if you would like to, you come back tomorrow and read that again to me if you right. wanted to. You know what I mean? Like leaving it open to the grandpa. And there's like grandpa closing the door slowly and just saying, as you wish. I just, dude. That scene hit me like I didn't think it would, but I don't know if I've watched this film since my dad passed. And that scene got me, bro. Like my eyes got fucking moist as fuck. I was like, damn. Yeah. 
So two things about that scene. Yeah. So I said 99.9% of the film was filmed in London. That scene where Peter Falk turns back and says, as you wish, that was filmed in Los Angeles. <laughs> was it added last minute or something? It was added, it was added at the end. It was a it was a reshoot, like to kind of like because they weren't sure because they had an original <laughs> shoot that uh that was going to happen, but they decided against that and went with this. What was like the original end going to be? So the original ending was that uh Peter Falk kisses his grandson who had fallen asleep. Oh says, yeah, he was about to wish, walks out, and then the uh uh Fred Savage looks through the book and then looks out his window and sees the characters on four white horses. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like in his, it, not, I'm, it's like, they're in his dream. His imagination becomes real, essentially. Yeah, that's cheesy. Yeah. yeah and pretty weird. So, I and so much prefer that. that so they did film that, yeah, they did film that scene. And apparently, the, the day that they filmed that scene, Andre the Giant actually got really fucked up. Like, he was super drunk. Like, he had been drinking since, like, 9 o'clock that morning. And it's, like, when they were lowering him onto the horse because no horse could take him. Yeah, they like, had to rig it. Hello, people! Hello! He put a 500-pound dude on a horse. Yeah, it's like, yeah. hello, people! Hello! <clears throat> He's so like, that dude needs, like, a Clydesdale, at least. No, yeah. Multiple Clydesdales. A fucking pair of them, yeah. He needs, like, uh, he needs, like, one of those mounts that you could get in, like, fucking Warhammer or, or like, uh, fucking WoW. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Something like that, but but the but like you were saying, Heidelberg, the way that this movie ends is so just like oh man, it just hits me right. In Feels the heart. right, yeah. I feel yeah. like it hits one last time on the thing, the main theme that this movie has is the heart about love. It. It's as... about yeah, it's about the love that you feel for someone and what you would go through for that, right? So Grandpa would love to come back the next day and read this entire story again. To his grandkid, who finally is letting him in. You know what I mean? Right. Moment where they had this like bonding moment and they spent the whole day together. And it's amazing. And like grandson's going to sleep after, you know, he's, he's, you know, calmed down, you know, basically lulled to sleep, you know, after this story. Like, you know, you're sick, you need your rest, like turn off the video games. And they just like bonded over like a book, you know what I mean? Reading, you know, the fact that he read it to him is great. And, this is like the type of book that's going to be passed. You can just picture like this character owning this book at some point. And like, right. Right. Savage's character is going to grow up and he's going to have a kid. He's going to fucking read this book to his kid. And yep. just like this movie, it's the same way. This movie is the type of movie that you want to share with people like we're doing tonight, but especially like younger people. I feel like you kind of just want to show them a feel good film. That's like carefree and, there's just a magic to it. I don't know what it is. And it's it definitely like any movie that really has that kind of magic that speaks to adults normally has a tie into a, you know, a childhood moment too. Yeah. A childhood theme to that movie that somehow speaks still to us, the child in us as an adult. And I think that's a magic that's hard to replicate. It, plenty of things try to, to replicate it on purpose. You know what I mean? As mm-hmm. like a, a, a means to like, Oh, well, if we just make this movie with this, these sort of like uh, peaks and valleys and like, we can hit those moments that people really like and we'll throw some nostalgia in there and like, sure enough, everybody will buy what our product. But like this movie doesn't do that. It sort of does that naturally. It's not playing on anything. It's just they're trying to tell this story that like we've seen through production woes. Like it was a story that was hard to tell in the first place in mm-hmm. Hollywood. And they achieved that in this film. The acting is great. The fucking cinematography is great. Like all the things are great. I mean, I guess we should just get into the review, but <clears throat> excuse me. 
uh, my voice is getting a little sore from just talking about the film, but um, yeah. no, it's just it's an emotional film. I feel like it's it's just got that emotional like gravitas to it. It's a, yeah, of course. It's uh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> like I said, for me, it's that same thing. It ties in. It's like whenever I'm sick, you know, I, I whenever I get sick, it's like I think about it because it's like I equate that with my mom, you know, taking care of me when I was yeah, sick. I love that. I love like the idea of like. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself like a bowl of chicken soup and I'm gonna put the princess bride on. I'm having a right. shit day. Yeah. Think about my mom and our our time together and like fucking put this film on, just kinda like soak it in. And like that's cool. It's like a medicine. It's like Exactly. Exactly right. Things like it's a comfort food, basically, is yep. what you equate it to. Um but yeah, I, I definitely think and then films are there's several films they resonate with each of us separately, differently, because of personal things that we carry, because we're all mm-hmm. different types of people. And certain films resonate at the same time with other people. And those are the things that we can sort of like gravitate toward each other. Like you said, as dumb guys, we're just sort of like, oh, you like this thing? I like this thing, too. But yeah, this yeah. is one of those movies that kind of does that where you're just like, oh, Princess Bride, right? Like, yeah. And everybody cool. kind of knows like, yo, yeah, legit. Like I seen it when I was eight or I seen it when I was 12. And like I watched it with my mom or whatever. Yeah. There's these little stories that we tell outside of this film about our personal lives and our time spent with whoever maybe introduced this film with, to us. And I think that sort of speaks on, I don't know, why this film is resonates with so many different people outside of different ages, age groups and stuff. Well, and because I'm I'm coming to this film as a 36 year old. I've never I had never seen this film before we talked about it. And I still think it's fucking great. You know, I, I was thinking about like how why did this film hit me in the way it does? And initially I was like, oh, you know, you know, because they're because they're always everyone talked about how like awesome this movie is. This movie's so great, you gotta watch it. And sometimes when you when that happens, the film's like, well, it just didn't hit me the right way. This movie kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. That's not how this film ha- hit me. The Princess Bride was just like, fuck, it just hit me right in my childhood. Like I was like, it deserves every bit of praise. I guess it does. Yeah. And I was thinking about like because the film itself did not do very well. Uh, it was and it was no one knew how to promote this film. Well, that was the issue. Yeah. Well, here's well here's the thing with the film is that like some of the theatrical posters were about just of Peter. It was Peter Falk reading a book to Fred Savage. That was it's what the boring as fuck. It's like what the fuck are you doing? That that's I mean yeah that's the film, but it's not really the film. Yeah, yeah, that's not what we're focused on. Yeah. So VHS was what made this film successful because it's a cult classic. Yeah. So like you, Hyderberg, you watched this in theaters, you loved it. You probably yeah. rented it on VHS. Yep. I own it on Blu-ray, but I've never rebought it after that. I mean not Blu-ray, uh DVD. I own it on Criterion. I know. I'm, that's the next one I get. Because I'm, I'm better than as <laughs> <laughs> there's like an etching on there too it's like etched yeah it's well, clean. what i love about the criterion collection version of this is that it is a it's essentially it's a fairy book i mean it yeah had, yeah it tells wait, the story these are in here it, it's great it's <clears throat> i do have one more question for you guys as the host of this uh episode i'm just sort of curious if there is is there anything in this film that you guys don't necessarily like care for like any negative i i have one if I was gonna, if I had like one, uh, like one knock on it, it was the the initial 
uh, when Buttercup and Wesley are reunited in that scene, it, it's a little weird. Um, weird how? Well, as far as like, he seems so angry and like he almost hits her and like the, he's almost kind of like. Yeah, but I think he's playing a role. He's playing the Dread Pirate Roberts at that point. You think so? Is that is that the reason why you think yeah. that, that's going on? Okay. He's trying to sound chauvinist and whatever, but that's not who Wesley is. So Wesley's it's, all about pleasing his lady, bro. The test? Yeah. Okay, so well. I feel like he's just testing her. That's, she respond. Like, he's trying to elicit emotion out of her to speak on his behalf of like, what did you feel about this guy that died? How did you feel about Wesley? And how do you still feel about him? Okay, well, you tore the sails out of like my one weird thought. I don't know. That's just how I saw it. I'm just saying. I can see you thinking. I just don't, I don't see Wesley as the kind of guy I would ever like be like, I think it's all an act. You know what I mean? Then like, I have, then if that's the case, I have nothing. Never, I don't think Wesley would hit another woman either as Dread Pirate Roberts, like in the act. He's not that guy. He wouldn't, it, like, I just like a Nico Montoya one either. Like, he's a fucking. He's a gentleman. There's this like gentlemanly quality to these guys, even though they're cutthroats. But there's like this quality of them like, hey, I respect your you know, your craft. Like, look, you're fucking you're a good swordsman. I'm going to let you fucking regain your your breath because I want to when I fight you and I best you, I want to make sure that it's you at your top game because I want to make sure that like I can boast about that at least and say that like, yeah, I took him down, you know, because he was the best. But I was better. <clears throat> and I like that. I have a I have a gripe about the film. OK. I don't like how goddamn charming and good looking Wesley is. I mean, come on, man. Just like save some for the rest of us. Like, seriously, bro. <laughs> is that is that your only thing? It's like, yeah, that's my gripe, man. Like, jealous of you. just way too good looking and charming, man. Pretty smooth, real smooth. <laughs> that mustache, bro. The mustache is clean. It's clean. It's super clean. Especially when he's got that Zorro mask on and those blue eyes. I'm like, what? yo, Buttercup should have known right away. Did you, she mentioned the eyes that like how striking. Right. All right. And I was like, you could see those eyes. So in the book, it's mentioned that like his eyes are like in, like uh, ocean waves like crashing against like uh, against the rocks, which is a metaphor for how how wet women get when they look at him. <laughs> Bingo! The ocean waves crashing against the rocks. J- John, do you have any like gripes about this film? I mean, I guess uh, we could put it in the reviews, but I just thought it was an interesting question because it's a film that kind of just has this great quality to it. So I was wondering if anybody just pick up on anything that kind of rubbed them the wrong way. No, not, there's really nothing I, no, I, I think it was, I mean, if anything, maybe more, I would have wanted more of the gang together. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that would have been dope, actually. Like, I would have liked to see, because the film kind of cuts away at the very end when they get away on the horses. I would like to see them get away. Right, right. Split up from there. Like, they go to a ship and they say, oh, Buttercup and the Man in Black, they get back on the man's ship and then, Maybe the man in black gives the ship to an ego and says, right. do with it as you wish. And then he takes on the mantle of, you know, um, Red Robert Pirate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then takes on uh, what's his name as like his first mate or whatever. Fezzik? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although if taking Fezzik on a boat, it's, it's tough because I feel like yeah. get, that's a lot of weight on a boat. <laughs> they, they become the rhyming pirates. You got it. Yeah. I do like that little rhyming game that they did because there was a moment where, um, when what's his name so drunk that he doesn't recognize anybody, Fezzik comes in as like the the goon squad and yeah 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 rhymes to him for a moment, and then there's that moment where he recognizes him because of the rhyme. So clicks right. Yeah, I thought that was a cool way to play it back, but um, I don't know. Let's uh let's let's review this sucker. Fuck yeah! <laughs> Sounds like we talked it to death, and it was a good conversation. So I'll do my review first. It's, it's my pick. Man, you you uh you lead us home. 
I am the man. I'm going to use six fingers to review this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I give it six. Uh, five, I give it six out of five fingers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so to me, I don't know, man. This is like a perfect film, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I've always had that thought since the moment I first saw it with my pops. And I still do. Like, it just as a, a little kid, this movie. And then when it was over, I wanted to watch it again immediately like it was just that film it was that kind of film you just you just feel it man you feel the storybook like vibe it just nails all the aspects i was trying to do and it was it must have been a hard film to make i feel like to to achieve this it was like a what if scenario and like rob reiner fucking yo touchdown bro like you brought it to the end zone and it was with the help of the cast and everything else and the crew and everybody else but you know what it was a creative dream and it happened like it was like there was a coalescence that you see sometimes in certain films where there's this like movie magic. And this film has it for me at least. Um, and I hope it does for other audiences. I think the writing is just superb in this film, the mix of comedy, suspense and adventure. It, it's really impressive. I think there it straddles that line really well, where we delve into certain moments here and there and blend them in a way that's just like, it's really cool, man. Um, you know, you feel like you're kind of watching a, a televised version of a storybook. Um, and there's that cheese to it, but it's like it's part of the panage. It's part of the the charm of mm-hmm. the film. That cheese, you you dig it. Um, they play into it, uh, and they own it. So it's like it's, it's speaking of impressive stuff. I think the stunt work is really impressive. Um, you see, you see a lot of it. Don, you said Rob by some of the actual actors too, which I think is really commendable. There's little things too, like the sword play, the set design, the costume design, the locations. When you mix all those together. You become like and it allows you to become enveloped in these in this like location in this story. Um, you just become like you just lose yourself. You you stop thinking about your everyday life and you're like just involved in this this story with these characters. And then when we like nothing ever takes you out of those moments, unless, of course, it's like Peter Falk and Fred Savage's um, engagements. But like those are even played well. They're so well done that like there are these little moments inside this larger story. And it's like it's just so well layered. And like the acting and the writing is so good on either end that you never get lost. You're never just like, oh, I want to get back to like what Humperdinck's up to or whatever. Like, because you do enjoy seeing Peter Falk talking with his grandson and you see the lessons learned and you see that like engagement between family members that don't always get along. And you know that it resonates with a lot of us like, oh, I might have had that moment with my uncle or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't have to be your granddad. It just speaks to like several of us, I feel like it on a broad uh, scale. Uh, I did mention the cinematography. I think it's f- fantastic. I think they blend like set design that, you know, is fake, but at the same time, it's movie magic. It looks great. And then the, the real stuff, like when they're on the mountains, like that's real. It looks great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it, like the, uh, you know, the upscaling of it all nowadays looks great. It still holds up. Uh, I think the soundtrack too, is just magical. The soundtrack is so good. The love, the love music that plays whenever Wesley's around. But that is done by, I forget, who the uh the uh the the uh, musician is from Dire Straits? Oh yeah, one of the members of Dire Straits. If you if you've heard of that band, I have. Was, I don't know the members of it though. Uh, the one of the members of Dire Straits did the soundtrack of this film. Huh, interesting. Well, these '80s movies used a lot of soundtracks made by musicians at the time. We see it with like Highlander and Queen doing the entire soundtrack. Queen doing Flash Gordon. We see this in these 80s films with these soundtracks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get sued. Um, 
But yeah, I just think it's really cool. The engagement between uh, Peter Falk and, and Fred Savage. I think it's it's such a small little thing, but it's it's so nuanced. It works so well for the film um, and the heart of it all. And just like just to touch on that last, the cast, I think the cast is everyone like is perfectly cast. This is one of those m- moments where like in a movie where just like not a single actor seems miscast. Yeah. There's nobody I could just be like, you know, who could play this role better? This guy. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just here for it all. And I know part of that's like, oh, it resonates with me as a kid. But like I've said, you can watch this movie at any age and most people enjoy the shit out of it. So uh, cons. Let me go through my cons. There are none. I don't have any fucking cons. I have none. I can't think of any. I don't know. I feel like any con I come up with, I'm just making up just to have one. It doesn't feel right to me. And I want to have one. I want to have a con. I just can't feel anything that's off with this film. It's movie magic. This is a perfect film, in my opinion. It's timeless. It can be handed down to generations and enjoyed endlessly. And for that, I'm going to give The Princess Bride an instant classic, if you haven't figured it out already. Yeah. Our top review uh, yep. is an instant classic, and that's what it's getting from me. Um, I want to see John. I want to see what, what do you think about this film? Uh, me? Don't ever watch this shit, dude. This is... Oh, my God. What a... <laughs> this is obviously instant classic. It's... it's... We just fucking hounded about it for fucking two hours, right? I guess <laughs> there's there's just you can't we we the the questions have been brought up. What can you say negative about it? Everybody. It's just like it's a beyond like take the take the actual movie away from it and look at how it was made. It's a feel good story in the sense that it, even how it came about and is uh, hit the market and was out there. And then you take the story itself and the relationship that's that is within uh, the movie and that's also within uh, the story that is being told. It, it almost mirrors. Right. But one is about like, you know, um, your partnership love versus a family love. And it's mm. just it, it's to me, it's 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 kind of hammering on the fact that it's just like this great conqueror. Like uh, it, it's it's the thing that it it doesn't matter. It's like that. That is. If it's if it's your family, if it's your, uh, you know, your partner, whatever it is, it's going it, to it's going to get you through it. And so uh, it's done. It's done perfectly. I love Andre the Giant. Uh, it's 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 fucking great. It's just great. It's perfect. There's there's you had mentioned it. You really can't say anything bad about it. And and uh, they, and at this point, we're going to have uh, Rob's wife come on to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna Fucking no, never, ever watch this shit compared yeah. to for my wife <laughs> it was great yeah it's just it's it's good so for me for me that's why it's it's an obvious instant classic and the fact that we said you know uh, uh, rob you're watching this at the at the age of 37 whatever i can't remember what you said uh, the point is you're old you know what i mean you're yeah, old yeah. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you fucking old bitch uh it's it's and you have that same feeling you know what i mean it's uh, that's how and I, even when I brought up the question to you, Berg, about like, are you, you know, is this, you know, is this something you feel or is it, you know, something that based on what it's rooted in? And it, it's it's easy to so it's I like think a bit it, of both, but it's right. So it's obviously perfect. Yeah. Instant classic. Nice. Love to see it. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I just like I said, I'm coming to this like late in life. I I had never seen this. I'm, I'm oh, no- so you hate it. I get it. Yeah, no, it's not I, enough for you. I understand. No, I'm just kidding. That, uh, I'm actually reiterating what John says. It's like it doesn't matter. Like when you come to this film, I'm an old man. I I'm coming to this for the very first time, and I see the magic that this film has. 
and especially you know as the cinematic archaeologist i dug deep into this film and as far as the production the direction the the cast and crew uh, and when you know, there's those special films that come about every once in a while where this was the most fun I've ever had in my life. I'm never going to do, I'm never going to reach this height again as an actor or a director or whatever. And you can really tell that this is what the Princess Bride was. At the premiere, Mandy Patinkin, when he saw it, they had an early cut of it. He cried. He wept in front of his wife and he tried to hide it. He yeah, said, he was- and she said, why are you upset? He said, I never thought in my life that I would be part of a movie, a film like this, like this. He knew instantly that this there's the kind of film that like we're going to talk about now over 30 years later. Right. In the same breath as when it came out. You know what I mean? Never in his wildest dreams did he ever think that he was ever going to have a role like this. He said he he never has since. Yeah. And he is so excited when anybody asks him about the role of Montoya, it's like, Fuck yeah, we're gonna talk about that. This is the greatest role I've ever. Such an iconic fucking like movie figure, like Anigo Montoya. Everybody knows if people that haven't seen this movie, I bet know that line, and then realize like, oh, it's from that movie, even if they haven't seen it. And I've seen him in in other roles. I've watched Homeland. I think that he's great in that. No, he's really good in that. I've seen Yentl. It's you know, it's not my thing, but I've seen Yentl. He's great in that. But he he knows that this is the role that has made him famous. Yeah. Of course, he is going to like, yeah, I can't believe that people, one, it's like, I love this role. This And he cried because like, I didn't know I could be a part of a movie like this. And I, yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy. That's why he was crying. And this film is so amazing. It's an instant classic. Yeah. Just, uh, bro. It's so yeah, he knew that he had achieved something by being in this film to the point that it brought him to tears when he was just like, uh, yeah, he knew instantly. This is one of the most monumental moments of my career. Oh, that they were in something like awesome. Like, even though like they it, it was not initially a success, it was it became a success. I still feel like audience if there was a like if there was a Rotten Tomatoes at the time, I feel like audience, audience score would have been high. Would say it sucked. Huh? Critics? Feel like zero percent maybe they didn't understand it i don't know about zero but like i could see them rating it lower maybe it's you know there's some satire there there's this like like you said you mentioned mel brooks earlier it has that quality of a mel brooks film too where there's like this fine line of humor seriousness um this one's a little structured a little bit more serious than the the best friend of carl reiner and like you know rob reiner is obviously a you know part of that family too so of course he knows yeah yeah, so I think it nails a lot of those qualities from those films that some of us grew up with. And even if not, I think this is a great film to just introduce. Watch it with your kids. You haven't yeah. seen it? Watch, sit them down. Watch it with them and enjoy that moment like where you're just like unequal with your kid for a moment for two hours. Right. Well, um, what are we going to do next week? Next week? John, that's your pick? Yeah, boy. What are we doing? So next week we will be watching The Gentleman. Uh, it is a Guy Ritchie film. Uh, mm. Real, real dope. Uh, the the obvious are, you know, everybody knows Lock, Stock, and Snatch. Uh, and yeah, so, I, love, I love both of those. Exactly. I like uh, Rock and Roll a little bit, too, and some other. Yeah. I saw this in theaters. This was, I want to say. Oh, shit, this was in theaters. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I want to say this was the one of the first movies 
yeah COVID. yeah this was like one like during COVID because this was 2019 2019 yeah. 2020 right yeah oh right and before it, COVID it was no it was after it it was like uh -huh. it, it was like this was one of the first movies that me and my wife went to the to the theater like uh, uh -huh. I think it was Casino Royale I talked about this a little bit in, on another podcast Casino the uh, uh no that, oh, no, that was yeah, no the last bond right Right, right. The last Bond was that was the one where I was like, I fucking there's no way I'm not. I've watched every yeah. one in the theater. There's no way I'm not seeing that. Tenant was that film for me where I went back into theaters after COVID. Yeah, Honestly. yep. I <laughs> saw Tenant in theaters too. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. you you just needed the movies at that time, bro. That was the last movie I saw when COVID first started kicking in was The Invisible Man. Oh shit! It is. <laughs> yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. It is. It is a good movie. Uh, but yeah, I'm pumped for the gentleman. I think you guys are gonna love it, and I, can't I am wait too. I'm looking forward to it. It's I, been a I, while since I've seen a Guy Ritchie film. And I, I love Lock, Sock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I love Rock and Rolla. I I love Snatch. I'm actually right. going to watch all those films before I watch The Gentleman. What a oh, fucking shit. nerd. Nerd! I, yeah, I'm a fucking... I'm going to... fucking I'm, nerd, man. Wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're here about on the... You know, sometimes I, I get that kind of... I'm like that with comic books. It's like, oh, I should read uh, 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 Fantastic Force 370. Well, I need to know what happened from 360 on, buddy. Like, right. I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm going back first. Yeah. I need to figure out. So yeah, I get that. And those movies, I haven't seen those movies in a while. Actually, I watched Snatch not too long ago, like maybe last year around this time, and it was epic. It's of been course. a while since I seen it, and it was just, I forgot how good that movie was. I was like, man, this movie's just firing all cylinders. It's chaotic. And then it all comes together for that crescendo that just like throws everything off. And you're just like, damn. And he's he's sort of I always like thought of Guy Ritchie as sort of like a, and I'll save the rest for next week. But just like a, a British Tarantino, there's moments in his career where he was hitting Reservoir Dog vibes with like Lockstock the and then doing like a similar film, but better with Snatch. You know what I mean? Like totally sort of like what uh, Tarantino did where he came out with Reservoir Dogs, but then came out after that swinging with Pulp Fiction, which was like a similar, it had the gangster feel to it, but it was different and more money was put into it. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. I, I like Statham too. And I think him working with uh, with uh, Pierce, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. I mean, Richie, I'm thinking Guy Pierce, wrong guy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that's next week's uh, pick. Uh, that's on Netflix, right? Uh, yes. I rent it on Amazon. I think it's on Netflix for free. So joke's on you. It's on Netflix now? I don't know. Maybe it's not. I thought it released on Netflix originally. I could have sworn that's where I thought it was. That's why I was surprised you saw it in the theater, John. I could be wrong, but I think that was a Netflix joint. Huh. But yeah, so that was uh, that was Princess Bride. And next week is The Gentleman. Um, we here at um, Cinemigos, we consider ourselves old gentlemen, uh, right? Right. I Absolutely. Kind of gentlemanly. Um, if, the, if, the, if the fans of Cinemigos wanted to like find out what else we're into, where could they find us? Uh, John, where can they find you if they wanted to contact you? Oh, me specifically? Yeah, twitch.tv slash kinetic onslaught, uh, O-N-S-L-O-T. Uh, come on by, hang out. We're going to play some video games, talk some shit, talk about movies, talk about games. Talk old about school video games specifically. Yes, sir, NES. Right now we're doing Dragon Warrior 2. That's a real blasty blast. Got Shatterhand queued up right after that. So, I haven't heard of that. How many oh. calluses do you have in your thumbs and your fucking fingers? Dude. And now it's they're just numb. Now it's give the the aw most awesomest rough hand job ever. Hey, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to go there. 
<laughs> and if the uh, if the listeners wanted to uh, give a um, social media hand job to you, Rob, where would they find you? Well, you can find me uh, at YouTube. We are Circle of Jerks podcast. We are also on Instagram. Oh, fitting. Uh, on Instagram, we are Circle of Jerks Circle of Jerks podcast, and on Instagram, we are at podcast coj. Uh, yeah, and I also have a podcast. It's called A Cut Above Horror Review. Uh, I am one third of the hosts on that. Jacqueline and John are my co-hosts. Um, it's a weekly horror review podcast. And if you wanted to find us on Instagram, you can find us at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review. On Twitter, we are at cut above horror, and on Facebook, we are at a cut above colon horror review. So yeah. Uh, also, if you wanted to find us at Cinemigos and contact us because we also have socials on this podcast, um, you can find us on Instagram at Cinemigos one word underscore podcast and rob how about on the twitter twitter or, or x, x. they're calling it x now i guess we should start calling it x our overlords uh, might get we might get flagged if we don't start calling it x yeah at trace cinemigos t-r-e-s-c-i-n-e-s uh, whatever t-r-e-s-c-i-n-e-m-i-g-o-s yeah something like that fuck yeah i don't yeah, care spelling it's hard bad enough course light tonight i'm i'm sorry oh the bank the banquet <laughs> yeah I've had a I've, I've had a bunch of banquets tonight, so <laughs> right, it's a banquet kind of night. Uh, so with that, I guess I'll send us off for the night and sign us off with "My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die." Where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking bashes.